Hello and welcome to episode 46 of Adult Music, the podcast with music for the mature mind. On this mic is your co-host Russ, and on that mic is Mike. Is Hi, Mike. Mike. Mike on the mic, as the Beastie Boys said long ago. How, does, how are you doing, Russ? I'm doing pretty good. How's, how, how's your post-holiday mood? Uh, you know, it's cold here, isn't it? it it's cold. Uh, there's yeah. other things going on that I don't want to participate in. Right. There's um, that. I'm just kind of getting through it all with lots of good music. And yeah, me uh, too. Hmm. On the few nice days we had, get some sunshine. And uh, in between that, a little bit of uh, booze and tasty food. And uh, yeah. I guess that's all I can ask for, you know. Right. I was listening to the uh, the Jazz United podcast and Nate Chinen, who's a jazz critic that I really like. Oh, I listened to the um, beginning of that, as you said. Yeah, because yeah, he talked about uh, his, um, well, he, he wants to listen to more music. This yeah, that's his year. resolution, <laughs> and he's like, right? And he yeah. already does that. And yeah. I guess, uh, I don't know that I want to listen to more because I'm always listening to a lot anyway. Yeah. But uh, another thing we learned about him on that episode is that he's a big uh album collector mostly vinyl in his case but oh, okay. uh you know he's kind of like my analog i guess because i collect a lot of cds right and uh it looks like this year is going to be a big cd collecting year too yeah you know <laughs> now I, this I, podcast is going this is getting rough folks i went we through need an income <laughs> from our year end best list of 2021 i ordered yeah. a bunch of you know cds that i decided i'm you know i liked enough yeah. i'm going to keep listening to them and then right the last two weeks, I had to pass through uh, downtown. So one great thing about uh, Japan, uh, well, mm. I should say, uh, you know, the record stores, uh, music stores for CDs or vinyl have always been really great in Japan. However, yeah. that's not the case for uh, new CDs anymore. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, well, our Tower yeah. Records doesn't have much. Uh, the other mm. music stores have downsized. Uh, basically, right. you're better off just not even browsing, ordering online. Uh, however, the yeah. used stores are really that. Some of them have bigger selections than the new stores do. So you can always go in and find, uh, you know, some interesting things. And this week, I picked up a few more. Uh, interesting used uh, jazz releases. What's nice about the jazz is uh, a lot of uh, the used ones will be like Japanese reissues from mm -hmm. the 90s, like on EMI, and the mastering and uh, the sonics are great. Uh, they sound really mm -hmm. good, even if they're old recordings from the 50s or 60s. And a lot of them, uh, you cannot buy new any longer. They're you know out of production and they're not on streaming. Uh, so I got some old ah. Ben Webster, and oh, cool. I got a few other. I got a Stan Getz recording that's not uh, available on streaming, and so it's sort of filling the gap in between, you know, what I have and what I can listen to in streaming. So I, I still find, you know, looking through the used items every month or two is worth my time. All right, I, I buy. I don't say I don't buy CDs here because I think they're they're a little overpriced actually. In Japan, I buy them be. from uh, classical CDs. I buy from Presto Music in England, and uh, I buy so. I, last year, I bought so many CDs from them. They they must kind of know of me, you know. I might, they must talk about me there by now. Well, I mean, I've never been there, but uh, you know. I believe we were discussing. Mm -hmm. uh, we saw that article that for the first time since 2004, CD sales increased 
last year. Now, I don't know if that's the corona effect of people being at home or if that's the adult music effect on you. (laughs) Yeah, it could just be. I I may have done that by myself, everybody, because uh, I'm going to need to move again because I'm not going to have enough space for these uh, CDs. And I want them all around me, too. I don't want them like in storage or anything because I do Mm. go back to them. I'm kind of like Umberto Eco with books, you know, although I have a lot of books, too. But, uh, yeah, he just had like thousands and thousands of books you know in his house right you know I don't know well you know what I like about books and CDs is they're quiet the rest of the time you know when you're not uh, reading them inside (laughs) your head or listening to them so like unlike other people that like people people we work with people we may live with you know that's a humans in general yeah pets you know they don't have to be walked they just behave themselves they're always there to make you happy Tonight, uh, we've got a, a real narrowed theme episode. Well, not too narrow, but it's another string thing. Uh, it's another string thing. On. Yeah. Uh, but before we get to that, as I said, this is episode 46. We're getting close to 50. And, yeah. Uh, so 50, we'll have to do something special again to celebrate. Yeah. I think we'll need another uh, face-to-face live uh Oh, yeah, that could be cool. Yeah, for 50. Um, All right, now, this time, if you're going to do a barbecue, I'm only going to get one kind of meat this time. (laughs) Oh, you only want one? Okay. (laughs) This time, we got sausages and steak. It was just too much. It was great. I enjoyed it a lot, but I was kind of, yeah. All right. I was like, yeah, I probably should have just chosen one of these. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it was good. I don't know. Maybe we'll just get two kinds of sausage next time. Uh, Yeah, that sauce you put on the sausage, it was like real cacciatore type uh, sauce there. That's my own. um, my own uh, sauce recipe. You'd yeah. be a good hunter if you uh, were so yeah. inclined. Yeah. Yeah. All I need is some weapons. They're hard to come by in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With some rabbits and uh, some cacciatore sauce and. Uh, yeah. So this go. week we're we're specifically like guitar, aren't we? That's right. We're kind of yeah. Kind of guitar plucked string instruments. Yeah. Plucked. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, well, it's be- guitar, and then we have a vihuela. Vihuela. One, so that's um, yeah. Which is an early guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we get to that, uh, the usual reminder to our listeners uh, that in the episode description for all these guitar-esque recordings, uh, you're going to find links to Spotify and Apple Music uh, if you want to check them out while you're listening, after you're listening, or even before, although it's probably too late if you're hearing me say this now. and right at the top of the description, there's a link to the full episode playlist. That's all the recordings in one place, uh, about six and a half hours worth, I think, on Deezer, our preferred streaming platform. We can listen in CD quality, and you can also follow our podcast there, at username Adult Music Podcast. Now, whatever platform you're listening to us on, and we're on pretty much everything, uh, if you can't see the full description or the links don't work, uh, come over and check us out on our host site, Podbean, where everything is neat and orderly and uh, the links are all active. If you enjoy the podcast, please do follow or subscribe on whatever app or platform you're listening to us on. If you take just a moment to give us a ranking, uh, write us a review, that helps us get listed in the browsing categories, which helps us get more listeners, and we'd appreciate that. Uh, other than that, if you've got anything you'd like to contact us directly about, any comments or questions, our email address is adultmusicpodcast, that's all one word, at gmail.com, and we'd love to hear from you. 
You know, we've been doing this for almost a year now, and I'm still getting people coming up to me that we know, um, c- coming up to me saying, you know, you do a podcast? Yeah, yeah. I, how could they not know? It's all over my social media, you know, I've kind of always kind of mentioning it, you know. I don't know. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of, it's does, one of those does things, it happen to you? you know. No, because I don't really yeah. want anybody I know to listen no, to. Okay. I mean, you know, okay. yeah. usually when I start talking about music, uh, people's eyes glaze over and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they... they That's why we on. started the podcast. Yeah, so... Because um, we figured we'd talk to people whose eyes wouldn't glaze over. They could we, just tune in exactly. and turn us off whenever we they want. We figured, you know, somewhere around the world, there have to be other people who like music as much as we do and are interested mm. in, you know... We, we should have a big adult music party one day. Like, we'll go to, like, some spot somewhere in the world and, like, invite everybody, all of our listeners to That'd come. a lot of fun. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, a big and, listening um, party. You know, I think there, there's so many podcasts today. If you're famous, you can make a podcast about anything, right? Hmm. I mean, right. but if you're not and famous- people do. Yeah, they do. <laughs> uh, but if you're not famous, it's going to be looking for that, you know, special little niche of people who yeah, like- or you can just like. talk about anything and no one listens to you. It's just, yeah. you know, that's not a problem. It's not a problem. People like uh, putting their voice out there. You find some kindred spirits. That's right. And at least, even if you get tired of listening to us, you should just check out the recordings every week because uh, we spend a lot of time searching through all the new stuff to bring the best to you. So uh, what's up first for String Things here? Yeah, well, yeah, String Things. Um, I I should mention before I get into this, our, our selections for this week are all, they're good. But the, the, I don't know if it's that I, I felt like kind of lukewarm about the music itself or because I've been listening to all of our favorite recordings from last year for uh, the last yeah. two weeks. And now I'm kind of like coming down because we're hearing things that they're good, but they're not going to be. I don't think these are going to be on my year end list. But, uh, okay. you know, so I'm kinda, I think I'm kind of coming down. And then there's the cold weather and I'm feeling grouchy. So listeners, if I sound a little grouchier this uh this week than normal um you might want to you, you you know you, you might want to think that these this album was probably two notches better than i'm saying it is okay <laughs> because i don't know yeah, anyway kind of post-christmas depression or something yeah it could, could be. be i don't know there's nothing right. going on we're you know it's cold you know it's still yeah. dark i don't know any of these, all these things i just talked to a friend in thailand yesterday it was nice and sunny there and i can't go so that's right <laughs> There you go. All right. So our first um, recording in classical this week is we're going to go back to Josquin. Now, he's the 400th anniversary. Is 400? No, it's more than that. It might have been the 400th anniversary. I don't want to say it wrong, though. 400th anniversary of his. No, that would be 1600. It's got to be like 500th anniversary of his. uh, Before that. Of his birth. Yeah, he's the Renaissance. See, I don't have these notes in front of me now. The 500th anniversary of his um, birth was is over, but we're still. This is an album from last year, actually, to the end of the uh, year. I think it came out in October or November. Called the Josquin Songbook, music for two voices and vihuela. Now the vihuela is kind of like a. Uh, it's a guitar like. It's more. It's kind of like a lightish kind of lute, I guess you could call it, or lute if you want to pronounce it that way. I think in those days, if you wanted the Josquin songbook, you'd have to put it in order for, you know, those hand-copied yeah. versions of it, right? <laughs> Those gigantic ones yes. that you could drop on someone's head and crush <laughs> them, you know, kind of, you know. Yeah, well, this is um, this is kind of interesting because the, the music on this disc was, I guess, written for uh, 
Yeah, it's it's polyphonic originally, mm. and they've uh, sort of altered it here to uh, fit for these two voices and vihuela. Now, the uh, two singers on this, and one of the reasons I wanted to hear this, uh, Maria Cristina Kier is the soprano, and I really like her, so I kind of was, uh, this kind of drew me in. Uh, the tenor is, uh, I don't know how to say this guy's name, Jonathan Alvarado. I don't know if it's Jonathan, it's Jonathan, kind of in yeah. English, right? And um, the, the vihuelist is Ariel Abramovich. Hmm. Okay. And, and this, is, this on is on the, the yeah, Glossa, Glossa label. I don't think we've done yeah. anything on Glossa yet, have we? Yeah, they're generally they they generally do a lot of uh, older music like this Baroque and um yeah, Renaissance and they generally get good recording, but for me well, it's interesting. It was an issue here, but it was it's it was an unusual issue. Let me let me get into this. All right. So, most of this album features works by Josquin Desprez. And uh, there were one or two by some some of his contemporaries. Um, the first uh, piece is called is a is a secular piece. Uh, now Josquin is most famous for his masses and um, religious music, sacred music. But this is a, uh, a secular piece, Nymph Nape, and Circumdeterunt Me. Now this is kind of the Renaissance technique of setting two songs at the same time, so one voice is singing one song. And the other voice is singing the other at the same time. And they kind of, there are all these little techniques to make them, the words kind of overlap or peek out through the um, texture. Okay. Um, so Maria Christina Kier starts this one out. Um, and the V, okay, so let me just get into the sound of this right away. The Vihuela sounds up front and it sounds really clear. Um, it's at a it really at a perfect distance from the mic. You can kind of hear its gentleness and all of its detail, but it's not too close where you can hear like you know finger squeaking or like the you know the, the attack on the strings. It was a beautiful sound, and I really liked the vihuelist. Um, but Maria Christina Kier, the soprano, sounds like she's standing in a tunnel. It, it's kind of a. Did you get this yeah. effect? Um, no, my now you have a nicer I'll, stereo than me, so I wanted to hear for your. My take, I was surprised at the sound of this. Um, and so when I, I looked at the uh, CD notes, and it's recorded in this uh, historic cathedral. and hmm. But it doesn't sound like a cathedral sound. Yeah, uh, it doesn't. It doesn't it, sound like they're singing out in the open, like you know where the yeah. altar would be or in front of it or anything like that. And I was thinking, because the vihuela does not project a lot, I'm thinking, so in order to get the right balance, they must have, you know, used distancing for the singers. But the effect is, well, I was thinking once I knew they were in a cathedral, I thought the maybe the vocalists are like, they put them in the confessionals. Or yeah, it, was, it just kind of sounded from, like uh, muffled or doors. something. There's something yeah. like constricting, you know, the, the yeah. voices aren't like just blooming out towards the, uh, no, and you know, the, those high vaulted ceilings or, you know. So anything. there is a, there is a, a room sound to the recording, but it's not what you would normally you know think of as a cathedral sound if you've heard other uh, vocal works or instrumental things that get that natural room reverb it just sounds me, that the vocalists are distant sounded, 
Yeah. Yeah. To me, it sounded yeah, you know, it was distant, but it also sounded yeah. like there was some kind of effect on it. It sounded like artificial mm. to me. Now, as we and, know from uh, the Ranitsky recordings, I'm always wrong about these things. <laughs> and ironically, I used to work as an audio engineer. It was one of my first jobs out of uh, yeah. college. You know, so uh, apparently, I didn't learn much. <laughs> but um, well, I can say I'm not saying it's bad. It's just different. It's not bad. Uh, it's yeah. different. Uh, so it doesn't result in you know. A balance yeah. of the sounds, but I think some of the clarity in the vocalist is, is sort of uh, maybe sacrificed for that sort of placement. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of think that the vihuelas may also have been the engineer. Hmm. <laughs> we used to joke about this because I used to play in rock bands. You know, you could always tell when the bass player was the engineer because the bass would suddenly be really loud right. you know, in the mix and stuff like that. You always want to hear yourself. Uh, I'm joking, of course. I'm sure this the engineer was one of Gloss's engineers. But uh, I don't know. I um I like the overall tone of this piece with the vihuela, and uh, that's really the focus. That's really what I was listening to. And I'm rather a fan of Maria Christina Kier's voice. I've heard her on other Baroque recordings. Uh, she has a hard, like, slightly manly quality to her voice, and uh, in Baroque, it just sounds really good in Baroque music. This is Renaissance music, of course. But... Um, it's a, it, her voice is a little unusual sounding, and it's very kind of clean tonally. Yeah. This one, first right. one, got me with this like octave jumps in the yeah. melody. It's a, it really yeah. know, makes you pay attention to what she's doing. Okay, now she sings a nymphnape and uh, the tenor Alvarado. Uh, I got his first name wrong. Uh, Jonathan Alvarado sings the second song, Circumdeterrant Um he sound, and he sounds kind of muffled, too. He's also in, in the other confessional on the other side of the room, I guess, when he comes in. Uh, Circumdeterrant may means encircling me. Okay. Um, lovely, sad work. I like the arrangement and the sense of space in the work. Track two, Joscan again, Praetor Rerum Serium, which means in addition to the sequence of events, <laughs> which with the sense of being outside them, uh, the booklet... Uh, translates it as this is no normal scheme of things and it's a religious text about the mystery of Jesus's birth would have been good for Christmas I guess that's what mm -hmm. it was intended for okay Alvarado starts the tenor starts with this one and he sounds like he's singing from a distant grotto in this one I said <laughs> there's a watery sound to the production on this like and I think I don't know it sounds like a filter to my ears but it could be the the space they're singing in. It sounds enclosed, though. It doesn't sound in the open. That's the problem. Um, let's see. Long-held syllables in the with no ornamentation and accompanied by the vihuela. Uh, this piece moves slowly. Very beautiful. And in fact, the, the tone of this disc, I have to say, isn't going to change. All of the pieces yeah. are going to be at this speed with these... Um, uh, singers and the singers especially Marie Christina Kier um, she doesn't do much to color her voice in this I mean what's she gonna do it's, it's sort of a, you know <laughs> with this kind of music it almost demands to be sung just straight like this um, but uh, so we don't get much variety from her yeah. on this recording now I do like her she's she's been very good on other recordings I've heard this um, um the tempo varies very little among all yeah. these pieces uh, and so it's it's very much a recording of of one sort of temperament. Uh, right. I did like it a lot. I um, liked it too. Yeah. But it it will put you in that one certain contemplative yeah. mood. Some of it contemplative, maybe good for 
falling asleep to if you're trying yeah. to doze and off. That yeah. combined with the sort of muffled sonics makes it create a unique, you know, atmosphere, uh, both musically and uh, acoustically. Certainly. Okay, there is a mass on this too, but it's not all together. Mm. And when track three starts the mass with the kidie, which is the first of the six sections of the ordinary of the mass. Actually, they might be more, the six that they usually set anyway. Uh, this is from uh, Josquin's Misa Fortuna Desperata, which is a polyphonic work uh, for four voices. Here we hear only two in the vihuela. Um, I, I think part of the reason why this this all goes at the same tempo and has the same kind of feel to it is um, that we're missing the polyphonic voices. Normally, they, they would be providing all mm. the variety and you know the different attacks they use and sort of like that. So we have less voices here. Uh, beautifully sung on this one. Um, the uh, performance sounds good with um, in- in- exciting intervals again. Uh, long-held um, vowel sounds, too. You can really luxuriate in the sound of this one. N- not necessarily in the sound quality, though, which still sounds the same. <laughs> okay. All right, the fourth track, Josquin Depré again, Miller Regrets. Um, this is from Cancion del Emperador. Uh, this is a secular work. And you can hear how cleanly the vihuela is recorded on this track because it's a solo, solo for the vihuela. Yeah. This sounds great. I liked mm. this one a lot. Um, there are lyrics, by the way, for this, but they're not sung. Uh, they're printed in the booklet, though. Um, yeah, beautiful sense of space coming from the vihuela's unerring rhythm. That's Ariel Abramovich. Next, we get a piece by... Cristobal de Morales, Spanish composer, if I'm recalling correctly. Um, Benedictus, this is uh, one part of the Ordinary of the Mass from his Misa Mila Regrets. I think the voc. Now, by the way, what that means is Misa Mila Regrets. Mila Regrets would have been a song, um, and I think we just heard it from Josquin, um, that was popular. And this would be what's called a parody from a. Misa Mila Regrets would be a parody mass, which means it takes the. Um, uh, this um, famous tune and uses it as the cantus firmus that the rest of the voices are built around. Okay, so if you <laughs> if you were to do this in modern times, you know, maybe you would have the the, the Hey Jude Mass, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> Kyrie eleison, you know, and that would be the right. that would be the cantus firmus that all the other harmonies would come in mm-hmm. around. <laughs> <laughs> That would be horrific, wouldn't it? <laughs> Although it's better than the wake me up before you go-go mask. Kitty, yeah, oh. <laughs> No, okay, stop it. Or the careless anyway, whisper mask. Oh, let, yeah. let's, let's move on. Okay. <laughs> the, 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 the careless whisper mask. Yes. Unless we can, Delvon Lamar on. was playing it, then I would, you know, probably. That would be cool. On the organ, yeah. <laughs> playing the careless. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. right. He did that on he that did album. That, on that was great. Album. That yeah. was good. Go back to that. It's one of our top yeah. uh, albums of last year. Yeah. Delvon Lamar. Jazz organist. Anyway, now he was a, he's not an organist. It's a, he, there's an yeah, organist in his trio. Yeah. Oh, the, he is the organist. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. So, anyway, from Misa Miller Regrets. Okay. Next, we get to track six, Josquin again, Confiteor, from his Misa Lomarme. Lomarme was a really popular um, song. Uh, the Armed Man is to be Feared was the theme of it. And this was a time of, um, you know, lots of uh, wars when this was written in the Renaissance era. Um, this is a solo for Alvarado, and he's a bit uh, distant in the mix. This, he's, the ten, he's the tenor. But the quality of his voice comes through here. Uh, the room space seems to be squeezing his tone a bit, I thought. Um, 
I think uh, Alvarado fares better than Kier does in this ambience. Um, her voice is actually very present and loud, so I think she's actually more distanced than he is mm-hmm. on this recording. It's she, She's got a bit of power, even though it's kind of like a laser-like focused sort of tone you know so um so it's kind of it's it's a powerful but small voice it's kind of which seems like a paradox but listen and you'll know what i mean uh track seven francisco de penalosa kirie from his misa adieu mes amours again another popular song of the time um the recording of the vocals sound better here mm. um um yeah, uh, they're still a little distant. Maybe my ear adjusted by this point. This one okay, is interesting check. to me because it's uh, it's got like three sections to it. Yeah, you know they sort of yeah the Kiria Kiria and Kiria yeah. they normally do it. Yeah. And then this, but the second one, if you listen to it, it sort of ends with you know what I guess later would be named the Picardy Third, right? So ah. it. it didn't notice that it, yeah it, it uh <laughs> ends you know it's kind of in a minor modality and then it ends with a major uh third and that so that sort of right. woke me up Whoa. and then it was on to the third section i was like oh they probably didn't even have a name for it at that time but uh, eric satis uh, gymnopedie number one mm-hmm. i think all three of them might end like that number yeah. one definitely does but yeah. uh, you know you got that a lot in baroque later but uh right and here there's nothing like that in the rest of it this and then right. that one it's ending it's just brightness. there and yeah. I thought whoa oh cool yeah. I'll have to listen to that again because I do like that effect yeah okay Josquin again Pater Noster which is our father um, Maria Christina Kier sings this solo um, yeah and again I'm complaining here that her vocal timbre never changes on this recording uh, um, I'd like to hear some variety at this point after eight tracks sometimes mm-hmm. getting a little antsy I th- again, you have to understand that I've been listening to all of our favorite albums of last year <laughs> when I was listening to this. So I was getting, I think I was a little more impatient than I normally would have been. Um, track nine, Josquin, uh, Ave Maria. Um, Welcome, Maria, Ave Maria. Alvarado sings this one solo. So they, they're kind of trying to get some variety here. Um, so he's uh, singing solo here. Uh, he sounds uh, too far away in the mix. The Vihuela's up front. Sounds great. Nice voice. And again, the same tempo. Track 10, Stabat Mater Dolorosa. Um, Stabat Mater is a really popular uh, prayer to set. Um, talks about Mary standing at the cross when Jesus is crucified and, and her feelings about that. Really, the, the tempo doesn't change here. Um, I think these are better as polyphonic works, really. The sound is marginally better on the voices in this one. Uh, track 11, uh, Vultum Tuum, d- oh man, Decre Cabuntur. I should probably <laughs> do these Cabuntur. without drinking whiskey, and I'd probably be able to say <laughs> these things, you know? Oh, Intemerata Virgo. And this is, um, okay, the vocals sound a little cleaner on this track, and it has an intimate quality with the clearer voices. I really enjoyed this one. Uh, this is a religious text, a prayer to the Virgin. Last track um, is Josquin. Uh, Nymph de Bois, again. No, no, this is different. This is just, that's another symphony. And then... Uh, requiem. Requiem, yeah. A section of a Requiem Mass, I guess. Um, the voices sound better here. Um, the, I think the singers are still lacking an immediate presence. It's like we're overhearing them from another room. The Requiem part is in memory of Akagame, who's um, the great composer of the generation before Josquin. All right. And that's how we end. This is all, this album is beautiful. 
solemn. Solemn is really the word here. None of these tracks change. There's no variety as far as that tone goes. Mm-hmm. So you could think of it as a long sort of meditation or just a quiet track, maybe for a rainy day when you want to calm down or have something going. Um, I found it a bit bland um, mm-hmm. as we keep hearing the same vocal timbres, uh, and never mind the vihuela. Uh, he plays well, but um, again, he's kind of he's not really making an effort to sort of change the uh, sound of his instrument either. He's really just playing this material, which I believe he arranged here because this is from uh, polyphonic music. I don't know what what he's going to do, mm-hmm. so I'm putting too much on him. Uh, more variety would have been welcome, I think, in for for my ears anyway. And the vihuela playing as well. The arrangement, arrangements are all similar. It's a meditative album. Um, on the positives, yeah, I, on the positive side, I said it's meditative and calming, probably good for late at night. So I would say give this a listen. If you're thinking of buying this, give it a listen first, definitely. Okay, just try out the first track, see what you think. The rest of the album is like that. I was yeah. a little disappointed by this, to be honest, but it, it's be- good. It's beautiful, but I it's don't know. It kind of didn't didn't sustain my interest that's what my notes said overall peaceful and meditative um right all slow tempos uh not a lot of variety other than the sort of uh variation of instrumentation uh between male and female uh voices and then you've got the somewhat strange sonics so uh if you're in the mood for something sparse and uh relaxing this uh yeah. could be interesting but little, uh, with a little sacred note in there, you know, note. kind of. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. I called it uh, uh, rather than a cathedral. It's a room sound with the vocalist sounding other roomy. <laughs> I don't know if that's yeah. a word, but I just other roomy, other roomy, <laughs> not otherworldly, kind of not quite that kind of level, but other roomy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, but I think it's an album for the vihuelas. He seems to be the star because he sounds clean all the way through. Yeah. All right. Anyway, let's move on. Now, I had mentioned uh, this is uh, the next album is uh, Asa Guitar. Uh, this is features Philippe Jaruski, Jaruski, countertenor, and Thibault Garcia on guitar, Spanish guitarist, I think. I'm pretty sure. And uh, Jaruski is a French countertenor. Now, the interesting thing about this, what I had mentioned Maria Cristina. Kier has kind of like a mannish quality to her voice, although she sounds like a woman. I mean, there's kind of like a a hardness to it, but she's definitely up in the soprano range. I mean, so mm-hmm. none of that. Um, Philippe Jaruski is also in the soprano range, yeah, sort of. There's not much mannish about his voice. He's a counter. Yeah. Now he, <laughs> on the other hand, sounds very feminine. Now, countertenors generally don't sound like women. They sound sort of um, like men singing falsetto, in though really beautifully, right, in this high register. But he actually gets some kind of. Um, there's a, a quality to his singing, the way he phrases. He gets a that feminine, makes him sound like a female a vocalist. Feminine yeah. music. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. our episode. No, so, yeah. it's it's interesting. The the thing is, if for, for the, in the old days they weren't countertenors, they were castrati, really. Ouch. Um, and there were also oh something else that he mentions in in like this interview, but um. They got an otherworldly sound, and that was really why they would often play gods or some sort of you know other thing in in operas. And uh, here he's he actually sounds like a woman, so I think this is really a more sort of um, uh, you know the, the, 
it, it, it makes me think of like panis roles in operas where like a woman is singing like a boy's part because she has the higher voice mm. you know that sort of thing like uh, I think of um, Cherubino in La Nozza di Figaro or something like that mm. but so, so he's singing sort of in the woman's range here in his countertenor and he's got a very feminine sound except for when he's singing really strongly then you kind of hear his like um, the, the maleness of his voice come out um one complaint about this right away. There are no translations for the texts in the CD booklet. Come and on, I bought the CD. Because it goes on, through all, like yeah. various languages uh, in the program, right? Yeah, they're, they're, they sing in all these different languages. And uh, I, I looked at, through the book. I was thinking, oh, maybe it's on their website. No, I couldn't find it. And this is about um, they those, do so. They do provide the text, though, the original text. And you can find translations of them online, but it's a lot of work. You have to search for every single song. Yeah. Um, but oh man, I I hate that. I mean, you're listening, you're streaming it. You don't have the text, but if you buy the CD, you should have all this stuff. In the old days, they wouldn't even think of releasing a vocal CD without text and translations. Anyway, not happy about that. This is on the Erato label, by the way. Yeah. Okay. Um, Jaruski in this um album, uh, he says he tries to find an interplay between spoken and sung when he performs and the guitar brings intimacy to these songs Thibaut Garcia um, which is it, it, usually we hear this with the piano and there's something about the piano it's it's big it's not a terribly intimate instrument and the guitar definitely is so it gets us a little closer to the music and I want to mention um, right at the start Thibaut Garcia to me is the star of this album now normally it's the singer right because he's singing the words and stuff but I found myself just focusing zooming in on Thibaut Garcia's playing all the way through it's so great this fantastic detail he has this kind of like razor sharp sort of um, attack and tone and mm-hmm. everything is very precise with him okay now I've got sort of um, I like this album a lot but I have a one or two Reservations. Let's just take a look here. The first um, track is by Poulenc. Oh, another thing about this album I should mention right off. It's the uh, track listing is really unusual. I mean, they go through all the eras. There's some unusual, um, there's some famous, um, you know, voice and piano, um, I guess we say leader or chanson that are... um, transposed for the guitar there are pop songs there it's it's all of these popular songs from different variety. genres from different eras it's um, different countries yeah yeah more of a different countries it's um you normally don't get variety like this on an album this was pretty fascinating it it will turn off certain purists and i am definitely not a purist so i enjoyed that element of this a lot i think first yeah, track especially yeah, after coming from the last recording which is yeah <laughs> very much all of one thing yeah. uh, here you've got a completely opposite approach you've got different eras different languages uh, you know different styles uh, yeah but you've got the same instrumentation and uh, and his and you've guitar also got, though sort yeah. of uh, approach I think that's uh, what glues it together really well and makes yeah. the program flow uh, he's got a lot of variety player. in his tone and his attack and his approach. He's he's mm-hmm. just a fantastic guitarist, and I've heard him play uh, you know on his solo albums. I've got two of those. He did uh, Concierto de Aranjuez by Rodrigo, which I um the most famous 
the most famous concerto of the 20th century of any mm. instrument, um, which I urge everyone to hear that particular performance, um, if you haven't. Uh, Thibaut Garcia on the guitar, also on the Arato label. I hope. <laughs> I, don't have it in front, I don't have it in front of me. I seem to recall that it is. Mm. Okay, so anyway, let's go through these tracks because this is really interesting. In a way, you know, we talked about the, the Josquin as being kind of like sort of, if you thought about it, it would be the color gray. This is going to be like a, a rainbow sort of. It's got mm. a lot of different colors to it. Um, it it's sort of the, hearing the two of them back to back. Uh, would be sort of like hearing uh, the first two nocturnes in Debussy's uh, orchestral suite because the mm-hmm. uh, nuage is kind of yeah it, it's kind of it's cloud so it doesn't really have much color to it and then there's the Spanish the the right. fete the second one Spanish um, festival which has all these different rhythms and colors in the orchestra um, anyway so let's go through these Francis Poulenc first here's something you've probably never heard before this is the title track Asa Guitar uh, the guitar opening is played with the presence of a soloist not an accompanist okay so he's uh, he's really making himself Thibaut Garcia is really making himself heard here Jaruski's voice is absolutely womanish until he sings Forte when you can hear it's a man I mean you wouldn't know this is a man until he gets mm-hmm. these really loud tones anyway this is a nice work it, it has like a sort of a baroque quality to it even though it's a 20th century work by Poulenc he, he did a lot of music hall songs and this kind of sounds like it's not like a music hall but it does sound sort of like a popular song from long ago uh, speaking of long ago the second uh, track is John Dowland uh, Come Again Sweet Love Doth Now Invite which is from his first book of songs or airs. Book spelled with an E at the end. I love that. Mm. I wish we still did that. <laughs> yeah. And songs has an E too. Okay. Beautiful tone in this. Very catchy. And I really love the line like to see, to hear, to touch, to kiss, to die. <laughs> it's really catchy. <laughs> that that It's at the end of every verse. So the second line before the end of every verse, it's really a, a catchy tune. Uh, similar melodic lines in different verses. Well characterized by Jaruski. The guitar tone is razor sharp. Dowland never played it like this. I can tell you that. This is, really sounds like a soloist playing here. All right, next we have um, a very famous Italian song. This is one of the... Um, uh, oh, man. Antique, Aria Antiche Tommaso Giordani or Giuseppe Giordani Sr. We don't know who composed it and it was originally attributed to Giuseppe Tommaso Giovanni Giordani whoever that is. This is the famous Caro Mio Ben, a song well known to all Italians. There are loads of parody lyrics to this that school children sing. They're really rude as you can imagine. <laughs> uh, okay. This is a big hit song. Okay, very familiar especially to Italians. Um, I liked hearing the guitar accompaniment in this. Usually you hear it with a piano. It suits the song well. It's an early Baroque song. Next, I should next is Francesca Caccini. Now, the famous Caccini is Giulio Caccini, and I'm kind of wondering if how related these two are. I, I should have looked this up. I didn't. Um, there's nothing about it in the notes. The booklet provides only an interview with the two musicians. Um, this is called Qui Desia di Saper, uh, Who Desires to Know. Uh, this is another catchy tune that I've heard before, I could swear. Uh, I like the Spanish-style guitar accompaniment that suddenly slows for the middle of the verse, and there's even hand clapping during the Baroque figuration between verses, mm. which I also rather enjoy. This is So right away, I'm kind of enjoying this um, 
album a lot. It's got a lot of it's got a lot of variety to it. Keeps the ear engaged. Um, you, you never know what's coming next. Track five, Enrique Granados, El Mirror de la Maya. Um, yeah, the mirror of the maid, I guess that is. My, I don't know what that is. I don't know Spanish. Pretty sound here. Uh, the guitar plays arpeggiated chords, while the melody sounds like something Dowland or someone from his era might come up with. Now, th- this is from a collection called uh, Twelve. Um, how do you say? It's Twelve in Spanish. Twelve tonadillas and estilo Tonadias. antiguo, in the antique squat style. Do you know how? Dos. De, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Didn't Forgot. learn Spanish. Oh, well. I studied it, but it's you did, huh? A different okay, life now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, the melodies this sounds something like from that Baroque era. Uh, it's a little more emotive than music from the Baroque era, um, in the sense that it's going towards something a little more extreme. Baroque mu- vocal music was, in fact, very emotive. Just think of the aria "When I Am Laid in Earth," by which we're going to hear on this album, by the way, <laughs> later, yeah. later on, by uh, Purcell. Okay, there's some piercing, ringing high notes towards the end that leap out of the texture, and the rest of this piece is pretty quiet. Lovely melody. Granados, incidentally, interestingly, died in 1916 when his boat was torpedoed by a German submarine during World War One. It's a tough way to go. I know it really is drowning. Yeah. Horrible torpedoes. Yeah, yeah. It's maybe instead of tonadillas, you should have called it torpedas. Well, it might have been a German. It might have been a U-boat. I'm not sure. But mm. his his boat, his ship was torpedoed and sank. Hmm. And uh, Spain lost one of its great uh, composers. He was um, he was really up, up there, <laughs> okay, the in the rankings after uh, Albanese. Okay, track six. Now this is really interesting to me. Franz Schubert, Earl König, the Earl King, one of the most famous leader ever. Um, the Earl King. It's a it's a poem by Goethe, and singers generally love to sing this because they have to do four different characters. There's the narrator. Um, the, the story is that this um, father is riding a horse and uh, galloping furiously towards, like, I guess, his home or a doctor um, to save his son who's really sick or he's really being uh, seduced by the, the Earl King who's trying to bring him into his spirit world. And uh, at the end of the story, the, uh, the boy dies, of course, in true romantic fashion. <laughs> They really love those sad endings. <laughs> Hans Christian Andersen, all that. You know, Disney changes all this. But um, the, there's a fifth character, too, the horse who's galloping, and you hear that normally in the piano. Um, in this case, it's in the guitar. Now, the thing is, um, this is a really interesting um, choice um, to play on the guitar because it doesn't really... S- the rhythm sounds like galloping, but you don't get the weight of the piano, which I think is really important to put this work, the horror of this work across. It's kind of like a... There's something almost gothic about it. Um, so it doesn't have that fierce galloping aggression. It's a, it's a little prettier than it should be you know, on the guitar. Um, let's see. A lot of the more tuneful elements of the Earl Koenig's voice and the accompaniment come out here. Usually the Earl Koenig is characterized as some kind of an oily voiced tempter. Please come this, you know, it's kind of like, mm. think about Dracula and like Bela Lugosi, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. And uh, so, but he here he's kind of, he's sort of portrayed more about uh, more tuneful, like he's, he's more of a seducer. 
Okay, the the father usually sounds manly, <laughs> not really here, and the boy, of course, sounds like <laughs> a higher voice. Okay, and then the narrator is just you know kind of like this 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 solid voice. Um, this is an impressive performance by Thibault Garcia, even though I don't feel like this really comes across in this arrangement, despite the fantastic um, performances by both artists in this case, I should say, uh, worth a listen. I would say it's it's interesting. I, I think you should hear this if you know this piece already. If you don't, you should really hear it with the the, the voice and piano because it comes across better. Okay, track seven. Francis Poulenc again. Saraband pour guitare. We get to hear Thibaut Garcia solo here, which is wonderful. This is a highly measured performance with laser-like tone and rhythm. Uh, it's a quiet piece, as the title would suggest. Um, Garcia's approach makes the sections very clear. So you, you hear when the... Um, when one section ends and another begins, there are really pregnant pauses before each new section begins. Beautiful performance. This is almost like a master class of uh, playing a classical guitar work. Track eight is by Barbara. Now, Barbara was a, f a popular uh, French singer of the 20th century, sort of like of the, I guess you could say the Edith Piaf type, uh, cabaret type singer. She sang popular songs as well. So did Edith Piaf. Edith Piaf was older than her. Uh, Barbara lived from 1930 to 1997. Uh, this song is called Septembre, September. Um, Barbara was the stage name of French chanteuse Monique André Cerf. Oh. In the late 1950s, she was known as La Chanteuse de Minuit, the, the midnight singer. You know, though, Ooh. Monique is a much better name than Barbara. You would think, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, I just maybe not to with Monique. Yeah. Maybe not to French maybe years. Not. I don't know. Yeah. But there is a, uh, they're, they're naming a street after her. It's just going to be Barbara Street hmm. in Paris <laughs> or okay. Barbara Plaza. I forget what they're going to say. But they are naming something after her there. Okay. The tune has a Satie Gymnopédie type melody. It's in three. Uh, it's a sad song about parting on a beautiful day in September. Uh, not quite a cabaret feel. It's more of a... There's some lovely harmonics near the end in the guitar accompaniment. A nice touch. And I enjoyed Garcia's lovely, gentle accompaniment in this song. Okay, next we hear Henry Purcell. Purcell. Henry Purcell. You know, Americans insist we say Purcell now. But I, I, English people, to me, still say Purcell. So I don't really know what to do about this. Everyone I've if known with the actual family name... In modern times, yeah. says Purcell, but yeah, I would think, you know, yeah, that's yeah, what it looks so. like. Yeah, but he's a Baroque era guy, so they who knows? They said everything differently then. <laughs> Even the title, they yeah. They they spelled things with ease at the end, you know. Yeah. If, All right, if music, music be the food be the of food love, of this love. is from Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah. this is from Shakespeare. Um, it's a favorite of mine. I've heard this a lot. Uh, similar to the Dowland in the building of the. Uh, things um th there's an another one he's like kind of piling on of like the, the building tension with the words your eyes your mean your tongue you know this kind of thing <laughs> catchy appealing song i like that a lot the next song track 10 attributed to john dallin but probably not by him it's a very popular song uh, from the renaissance era in darkness let me dwell i mean why wouldn't you think it was by dallin every song he wrote was <laughs> sad uh, some startling dissonances in this tune, such as on the words shall weep in the line, the walls of marble black that moistens still shall weep. It's a great dissonance <laughs> on that. 
give it a listen. And on the word bedded in and bedded to my tomb. <laughs> oh, happy days, huh? Happy days again. Right. <laughs> this does not have a jig melody to it. Jaruski, make sure you hear both of them. Okay, he's, he's very good in this. He really draws your attention to those dissonances. Next, a work by a composer I didn't know about, uh, Louise, what is this, Bonta? Okay, I gotta make this bigger. I can't see it. Bonfa. Louise bon, Bonfa. Okay, Bonfa. Mania de Carnaval, the morning of the uh, carnival, from the film Black Orpheus, Orfeo yes. Negro, from 1959. We've heard many jazz recordings that have mm-hmm. uh, set these tunes or you know done their own improvisations on them. This is a real surprise, like the barber tune. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few more surprises to come. Uh, Jaruski hums the beginning. It has a Bossa Nova feel to it. I've never heard it like that. I actually didn't recognize this. And I do know the film. I've uh, got it on Blu-ray, in fact. Um, there's a Bossa Nova feel to it. The guitar actually has a line in this. I don't remember this tune from the movie, as I said. Okay, next, we're getting into this um, Brazilian feel now. Dilermando Reyes... Brazilian guitarist and composer, Rodo de Baiana. I hope I said that right. I don't speak Portuguese. This is a guitar solo. It's active, very highly detailed, and a real gem. Why haven't we heard this before? Uh, Brazilians probably have. I haven't. It has the lively Brazilian dance rhythm, catchy melody, and uh, Garcia plays with Brazilian flavor, a real find. Okay? Check that out. Next... Now, I don't know about you, but I thought I've heard everything that Mozart had written. Next piece is by M- Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Abendempfindung. Abendempfindung. Which means like evening sensation or evening feeling. K523. I didn't know this work, this song. Hmm. Um, it's in German. I'm not familiar with it. Hearing Mozart accompanied on guitar gives it a completely different profile. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this was uh, probably with piano. Uh, the tune paints a feeling of evening while the German text meditates on what will happen at the singer's death. <laughs> it's a great follow-up to the Brazilian yeah. tune. It's, it's like a... Brazil to Germany. Yeah, yeah there's a good uh, Brazilian life to German death. It's kind of a good contrast. Next, uh, a name familiar to me, Giovanni... Paisiello, a hey. very famous song. Hey, Giovanni. Hey. No cor più non mi sento. This is from the opera L'Amor Contrastato, ossia La Molinara. Okay, ossia means or. So it has two names. Um, no cor non più mi sento. Oh, più non mi sento. It's a really famous song. Garcia really makes this familiar tune dance, which normally it doesn't. And I mm. really liked, I really appreciated that. Um, he, he pulled out the dance rhythm to it. And Jaruski plays along. Um, this is one of those tunes that exposes the voice, and Jaruski has no flaws to be heard. Um, he even paints the words uh, pizziki and stutziki, which means pinch and tickle, uh, as those things are being done to as if he's, these things are being done to him as he's singing. So he's like, <laughs> me pizziki. You know, it's like he's kind of being pinched or something there. It's I, I like that kind of um, sort of word coloring mm-hmm. nice touch he's enjoying himself this is a real joy to listen to alright the next track surprised me too another surprise Ariel Ramirez Alfonsina y el Mar he's an Argentinian composer famous for the Misa Criola which we may have heard I mean I, I've, mm. I've heard this work I remember it from college that it kind of had a brief popularity then in the 80s and um, I, I don't know anything else by him so I was really interested to hear this 
Um, we get a little Spanish flavor in this one, or perhaps an Argentinian folk flavor. Um, he's from Argentina, after all. Uh, Ramirez worked a lot with Argentinian folk music. The guitar part is interesting and draws the ear along with the singer. And that's where I was focused. I thought this was really great. Next, we get two tunes by Gabriel Fauré, Au Bois de l'eau, opus 8, number 1. Hearing this with the guitar, again, gives it a different profile. It's an art song. Uh, it's a light song, too, but it sounds much lighter here than it did with the piano. Uh, track 17 is a nocturne. Um, Garcia makes this fresh with his well-placed occasional harmonics. Really beautiful. This is something you don't hear on the piano. Very beautiful and evocative of night. Jaruski gets a quiet tone. Though his voice is always bright in this. He, he's a bright voice. Next, Rossini, Gioacchino Rossini, Rossini, di tanti palpiti from the opera Tancredi. Uh, and this is just pure Rossini. Garcia is excellent with getting the danceability or simple liveliness out of the rhythms. That can seem stale on paper. Some singers sing this and it just doesn't really come to life like this. Uh, Jaruski gets a brief flourish in this. It sounds like a simple cavatina. It's, it's a simple, very catchy song. Not like a full-blown aria. Track 19. This is a long album. Gerardo Matos Rodriguez, La Cumparsita, the most fam- one of the most famous works. Um, it was certainly his most famous work. He's an Uruguayan composer. This is a work for solo guitar. It's a tango. And his first published work, Matos Rodriguez's first published work, is a full-blooded, lively tango rhythm, a real pleasure to listen to. Garcia gets this. It's really good. All right. As promised, Purcell, When I Am Laid in Earth, which is Dido's lament from the opera, Dido and Aeneas, very, very moving in the opera with its... um descending bass line like a Pasacaglia bass and the, the soprano sings over the full orchestra uh, a real tearjerker of a song not here though this is really better sung by a soprano but that's okay we're hearing different colors here um, the guitar outlines the bass line at the opening which is going to repeat at least suggestively all the way through a nice performance here um, I enjoyed hearing it in this guise despite the fact that it didn't really move me all that much. Uh, Jaruski is understated when he sings the famous Remember Me line at the end. That's when all the, the tears start coming when you hear that line. Uh, not in this performance, though. It's more of a... It's, it's a little more clinical, I thought. Um, it sounds more like an art song here, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it's enjoyable. And I, when I said clinical, I didn't mean that as a critic, critique... Or as like criticism or an insult. It's just... It's just that it doesn't, you know, emote the way it does in the opera when it's sung with a full orchestra. And how could it really? Because you have all those great orchestral instruments uh, helping to pull those emotions out of you. Um, Paced rather fast to draw motion, too. This is faster than normal, um, which is probably necessary with a simple guitar arrangement. Uh, I enjoyed Garcia's playing at the end of this piece. Okay, next we have uh, a piece by Federico Garcia Llorca, the great Spanish poet who was uh, executed by, um, I believe it was Franco. Um, Anda Yaleo, Jaleo, Anda Jaleo, sorry, in Canciones Españolas Antiguas. So here he's um, he's a poet, he's also a composer, and he set this to his familiar Spanish dance. It's got a descending melody that's distinctively Spanish. I mean, this this has Spain all over it, um, as, as far as we think of 
Spanish songs. Uh, it's immediately likable. Jaruski does well to get a Spanish tinge to his vocalizing. Last track, Benjamin Britten. This is a folk from his folk song arrangements. A bunch of works I'm not familiar with. Volume two, France, and this is a French folk song. Il est quelqu'un sur terre. Uh, it's this is it's someone on there is someone on the earth or he is someone on the earth I don't know. This folk song has a repeating descending bass line. It sounds like a pasacalia to me. It's a spinning song, as we know from the line "Va marue," which repeats in every verse. Spin my spinning wheel. Um, so it would be something that women would sing while they were spinning uh, wool or yarn. Um, it's sung at a slow tempo here. I expect that this song probably goes faster normally than it does here. And it ends the album on a mysterious note, which is a little unusual. It doesn't sound like it should be this mysterious, but they uh, they color it that way. Sensitive, very quiet accompaniment, especially in the last verse, and chanting playing by Garcia all the way through. So in conclusion, this is a nice mixture of the familiar and the unknown. Really an excellent program. Excellent guitar playing and singing. Uh, Jaruski is excellent in tone and timbre, but for Thibaut Garcia, for me, Thibaut Garcia was the star of this album. He draws a lot of musicality out of the accompaniments and has you listening to him without having you forget about the singer. Now, if you're someone who doesn't really enjoy countertenor singing, uh, you might have to adjust to this a little bit, but it's really worth it. This is a, re- a very musical and very interesting program, performance. Everything about this is, is really good, I thought. And the chances well, they take, though they don't always work, they're still interesting to listen to. You just described me. <laughs> um, <laughs> Did I really? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, you know, I'm not a big classical vocal listener anyway. And counter tenor. You seem to like the guys, though, the tenor and bass. Uh, yeah, I like, have more color in their voice. Just like I like cello rather than violin. Um, I bet you'd like altos, too, like women with color yeah, in their voices. Uh, I yeah, like sopranos, I too. Like, I like alto. Uh, uh, better uh, so and counter this much counter tenor is a bit much for me uh, mm. I can handle it on a program I do sort so, of agree I'm not really a big yeah. fan of like I'll listen to them in operas you know yeah. but the whole program is kind of it is yeah. a bit much that said um, I could make it through uh, I listened to this twice uh, based on the strength of the programming uh, the variety is uh you know, so interesting that uh, the first time I listened, I didn't, I wasn't looking at the notes. You know, I was doing something else. I just put it on. I like to listen, whatever we have on the program, I like to listen once non-critically and then once critically. So, but my non-critical listen had me keep going back to look, well, what is that? Because we keep changing countries, eras, languages. Uh, So I wanted to know, um, because you won't get lulled into, you know, any certain kind of uh, frame of uh, reference from this because that uh, keeps uh, the variety uh, throughout the program. And so that's strength. Yet they're able to, you know, pull it off uh, with a kind of... uh, how can I say continuity uh, because of the uh, interaction that they have and you know it's just good voice and guitar so that's all you've got Uh, and uh, I like that sparseness of uh, you know uh, content so you can hear everything really clearly Garcia's guitar work as you say is really interesting and has some surprising things in it and uh, I thought the performances are really nuanced 
there's a lot of yeah. small, interesting things to listen to. And even though yeah, I'm not a big fan of you know countertenor or all one voice throughout a program, uh, you know there was enough interesting stuff there to even get me to listen right through it. So yeah, yeah interesting uh, I, program. Yeah, I should say to anyone out there listening who's a fan of countertenors or especially of this countertenor in general, this is an unmissable album for you. All right, you're, you're going to have to hear this. It's just it's it's really so good mm. that way. Okay, so we're just going for our by our personal taste here, so That's don't all. let us put you off. No, no nasty messages, please. <laughs> if we get any, we just won't do any more countertenor recordings. <laughs> well, <laughs> there is that possibility, but um, mm. it's sort of like I've I found that in my life, um, people who listen to opera are the the most finicky of um, classical listeners and uh, jazz jazz listeners are all like that they're all kind of you know the sound quality the performance they, they get really nitpicky about things you mm-hmm. know uh, in the in the classical world that that it's really opera fans who get really fanatical uh-huh. they, they, um, they're they're hard to talk to <laughs> if uh-huh. you don't agree with them if you do then they love you hmm. anyway Last of the classical, we have um, a kind of similar type of program to the Asa guitar, except this time without a singer. This is a solo guitar called My European Journey by a very young British guitarist, Alexandra Whittingham. I hope she's British. (laughs) I didn't look it up. I'm sure she she is, is, though. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, she's solo uh, classical guitar. This is on the Delphian label. And I've been sitting on this for a long, long time because I thought we would do a guitar episode sometime in july september this came out in may may 28th the end of may 2021 Mm. so i've been sitting on this for half a year and here i am finally talking about it um i figured i'd pair this with um, sean shibe but you know we never did that guitar episode so i wound up doing sean shibe alone and i finally got this one on so i feel happy now anyway been sitting on myself a lot shelf a lot okay the theme of this program is um, it explores the guitar music of the 19th century when the guitar finally settled on six strings. Uh, before that, it was all the lute, the vihuela, as we heard earlier, and um, it had a lot of strings. You know, uh, the neck was narrower in the 19th century, the body got bigger, the strings got tighter, and it could now sound deeper, higher, louder, softer, and more nuanced than any hand-plucked instrument before it. It had a lot more variety than the lute or the viola. Okay, so that's our theme, and she's going on her um, the the grand tour of Europe here. She's uh, playing music from different countries by different composers, by different composers from different countries, and it's uh, quite a tour, I have to say. She starts out in spectacular fashion with Francisco Tarega, Capriccio Arabe, Arabian Capriccio. Uh, Tarega composed this after a trip to Granada. He saw the uh, citadel, which was uh, converted into a mosque um, when the um, the Moors, you know, controlled Spain. Um, despite the title, this has a really Spanish feel to it, or maybe it comes from the Moors. I don't know. Uh, cool chords at the beginning, a gorgeous piece, very sensual and very sensually played by Whittingham. She's really starting with a strength here. She gets a good sensuality out of this. Uh, uh, I'm impressed by this. You didn't think so? 
I'm going to have something to say about this later, about what you're going to say later, but in a different piece. Great presence and beautiful tone. The sound is recorded close. You get all the details and no finger squeaks, which is another miracle. I thought this was a stunning opener for the album. Go ahead. What do you got? Well, this is what's interesting about this program for me in that she chooses a lot of things that aren't played much anymore right? uh, for the rest of the program. But these Tarega have been recorded by every yeah, <laughs> major yeah. guitarist. Um, and, okay, the, I feel like as a on a debut recording, you're sort of obligated to do some of these kind of, you know, standard things to show where right. you stack up. Um, so this one and the next Tarega also, which are, you know, recorded by pretty much every major guitarist has recorded these. And um, so this to me shows uh, what I feel is maybe the the major weakness in the whole recording, which I, I would say I know it, what you're going to say because I'm going to say this is for a lack a different lack of passion. Track. Yeah, okay, um, but I thought she had it here. Um, I don't know. I don't. That's okay. I, I actually right. liked her approach more on some of the other pieces right. that so we'll get I, to, yeah. um, because this this whole recording is not any sort of technical showpiece uh not to say that a lot well, of the, at the piece, end it is the, pe- the last two pieces yeah, are but none of the pieces yeah. here are particularly um virtuosic show pieces that she selected i feel there's a lot more things she could okay. have you know picked but i think they're more you know musical vehicles uh and i think that plays to her style uh what i really like uh, she has a completely gorgeous tone yeah, she uh, does. Her instrument mm. and this recording that shows it off well. This is a beautiful sounding guitar. And I really like her articulation and, you know, her attack and the variety that she displays uh, with what she does with her fingers. Uh, she she can change that attack uh, for a variety of effects from a very soft uh, approach to, you know, something that gets... Uh, a completely different kind of attack and then different tone. But on on these two pieces, um, I I was disappointed at the beginning. Uh, one that no. the tempos are rather slow, and then I just felt like missing that kind of uh, fire for Spanish pieces that I expect. Um, but I I didn't mind that kind of feeling later on in the program. But I'll come back to okay. That. I think I went into this. You know, think you know, not knowing what to expect, basically. Mm. I was really surprised by the first piece. I thought it just leapt out. Now, the thing is, what you said is, in fact, sort of what I said about this second track, the second piece by yeah. Tarega, Recuerdos de la Alhambra. This is also inspired by Tarega's trip to Granada. And uh, the booklet says it has the feel of a Chopin nocturne. I don't really think so, though. Mm. Um, now, in this piece, he uses a uh, Tarego uses a tremolo effect to keep right. the uh, melody solid. And I thought Whittingham's tremolo, maybe it's recorded too close, or maybe she's playing it too loud, um, because you can hear the idiosyncrasies of the attack. I think you know, it's too it's slow. Not even. It's, it's, it's too, not even either. It, right. It's too slow to get to that evenness that most guitarists do it at. I listened to right. a few other versions I have of it just because I wanted to make sure. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. Because um, I've heard um, John Williams play these type of tracks. And yeah. It just sounds fantastic when he does it. That's yeah. an unfair comparison. Yeah. Though, she's this a is a debut young, recording, so I don't want to... Yeah. She's a very young... Yeah. So. 
Okay, so yeah, I said this is an impressive performance of a piece that sounds really difficult. It's fluently played. The feel isn't completely right, though, I said. Mm -hmm. um, some of the Spanish flavor is lost in the technical display, unlike the first piece, which I thought was more idiomatic. Now, here's the thing. I thought that the first two tracks kind of outlined in miniature what we're going to hear on the rest of the album. I liked the first track, but the second track, I thought, the technique got in the way and i do agree she does she is kind of lacking in passion and that's i'm going to come back to that in the last two tracks um anyway let's move on uh jamie bosch brimborion romance from his uh romance san parole opus 11 he was a spanish guitarist who went to france he preserved the uh, catalan flavor of his music the title means something trifling or charming and the fifth and sixth strings are tuned down a tone in this, putting the piece in G major and allowing the guitarist to play heavily on open strings. It has an idiomatic Spanish feeling to it in Whittingham's hands. I liked this one a lot. I like the tempo here. Uh, mm -hmm. And I thought this one shows off her uh, variation in articulation really well. You get some really nice uh, tonal variety. And I thought that worked well in this one. Okay, next, J.K. Mertz, Elegy, one of the album's uh, centerpieces. It's a very long piece at 8 minutes and 50 seconds. Not very long. Um, it's quasi-operatic, according to the booklet. I get what they mean by that. Um, it beca that becomes more true, really, as the piece goes on. Uh, the composer, Mertz, is Austro-Hungarian. Many of his works were rediscovered by scholars in the 1980s, and he wrote for the 10-string guitar. So we're finally away from the Spanish feel here. This is a slow, expressive work in 3-4, with melodies passing from the bass to the tenor. So this gives the guitarist an opportunity to show off some uh, melodic technique in kind of keeping the melody. Mm. Um, very expressive playing from Whittingham. Now, I'm using the word expressive, and like you said, it's the, she, she, she does lack in passion. This isn't really a passionate piece, though, so we don't miss that here. Um, there are subtle pauses and the vibrato to wring a bit more tender emotion out of the material. I, I think she's very good here. Next, Katharina Josefa Praten. This piece is called Forgotten, and it's an impromptu. She was German and worked in London, where she married her husband, uh, Robert Sidney Platt Pratten. Her maiden name was Peltzer. Uh, this starts with some complex harmony, but smooths it out after that into an appealing melody in 3-4. It's pretty. It's a little short. Sixth track, Frederick Rung, humoresque. And he's Danish, a conductor published a series of guitar ministers. This one is very brief. It's dancey and comical. It's hesitating pauses. Whittingham has the sense of humor to put this across. I was very happy to hear. This is a nice little piece. Track seven, Napoleon Coste, Le Départ, Fantasie Dramatique, Opus 31. Uh, this is another long piece at 10 minutes. It tells a little story. Uh, Coste, Coste was a French guitarist and he played an instrument with an unplucked seventh string that lent extra resonance to the <laughs> other six. Um, this piece was written in 1856, and so it was inspired by events of December 1855, when French troops returned to Paris following the siege of Sebastopol in the Crimean War. Uh, the work also references their initial departure for Crimea. It has a grand opening marked Andante Largo. Then there's a bugle call. And then the return of the marching army. Uh, the, the grand opening is a bit somber um, after all the army is departing. 
Um, at two minutes and ten seconds, we hear the bugle call. And uh, then there's a complete change of character in this section, well characterized by Winningham. She's good at doing happiness and joy. She puts that emotion across really well. The return section starts at four minutes and 20 seconds with a square sounding rhythm. It sounds like it's in four. It's not a march. I, 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 I think military, I always think I'm going to hear a march, but that's not the case here. It's all pretty easy to follow as Whittingham provides pregnant pauses to draw your attention to the changes in this 10-minute work. Next, we have you get to some shorter pieces. Ernest Shand Legend, Opus 201. Ooh. Man, some people wrote a lot of music. A pupil of Katharina Pratton, who we heard above. Um, he wrote Britain's first guitar concerto and became one of its best-known music hall acts. And this does have a bit of the uh, melodic music hall quality to it. Uh, lots of decorations. Um, there's some warm humor in it as well. Um, the two notes following the two harmonic notes. There are two harmonic notes. And then there are two chords. It's really yeah. cute. I thought this one shows off her tonal uh, attention very well. Uh, yeah. You know, the gorgeous sound she gets. So. Yeah, I wrote that she feels really at home in this, and I guess she would. Mm. It's by a British musician who worked in the the, uh, the music hall in the early twentieth or the early nineteenth century. There's a gentle warmth to her shaping of the melody. Ninth track, we get another um, piece by Ernest Shand, "The Gnomes," um, Opus seventy seven. This is a descriptive piece with a lot of suspensions in it, and it has the feeling of a gnomish dance, like you'd hear in Grieg. Mm. All right, now here's where I start to get, have some trouble. The the tracks 10 and 11 are both 11-minute works, the two longest works on the disc. And they're both by Italians, although one of them is born in Switzerland. Um, he may be Swiss. Um, these works require virtuosity and passion. And uh, I feel like Whittingham kind of lets down the side here, although she does play them very competently. Um Legnani, let me go through this. Um, he was born in Ferrara, Italy, but was associated professionally with Ravenna. And he tried to cultivate a guitar technique that would see him compared to Paganini, but he wound up sounding more like Chopin. There's a, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> you know? No, just kind of different target, though. But Yeah, yeah it's, kind of, it's kind of like you, you aim at this target and you hit <laughs> yeah. another one. It's it's kind of like throwing a ball, like like bowling, and you throw a ball into the other lane and get a strike yeah. in that lane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, all right, there's a lot of lyrical beauty in his music, and the word uh, facile. Uh, this is called fantasy brillante e facile. It means easy, and this is not easy. Okay, he just called it that to uh, get sell more copies. That's <laughs> okay. that's such an Italian thing to do. Okay. <laughs> especially from that era. All right, it's in two parts, a spacious introduction in A minor and a playful allegro in A major. The relative major, not the relative major, the, uh, what's, ah, oh, man, I'm losing all my music vocabulary here. What do they call that when this, this, the major is the same as the, the same note the same as the minor? Cue. Usually they're going to go from major to minor, but so this one. There's a name, there's a name for it, yeah. though, when, you, when, uh, when they're both the same ones. I can't remember. Parallel. So C major, the relative minor would be A minor, but this is, ah, it's kill me. I'm going to remember it later. I hate this. If only I was still in school, I'd know. Anyway, this starts with slow strumming, which gets interrupted by more agitated strumming on a different chord. There's a lot of buildup of tension in the introductory section. Very exciting. The main section begins at two minutes and five seconds. It's lively and has that sprung Italian rhythm. 
bright, sunny, and energetic, and then sections follow, all of them with catchy melodies. Okay, so Whittingham, when she plays this, she has the the smile that the, the music requires. She has good energy, but I feel like this could have used a lot more fire. Um, it's a difficult piece to play. I can hear a bit of the effort she's making in the playing, and that's um, going to work against... Uh, pulling this piece off these lines when you hear melodies like this they need to be tossed off like they're effortless i mean you're seeing this instrumentalist do this amazing thing and he's got to be like ah oh, it's nothing it's so easy you know we're not getting that from this performance um that that doesn't mean it's a bad performance but it's it is lacking in fire um she gets the sunniness of the music though which is very appealing so there's a, there's a real like Italian sunshine and smile kind of feeling to her playing. I thought the performance was a little, eh, it was a little staid, I guess. You have to throw caution to the wind in a piece like this. Uh, but she's very young. I am sure she'll get there. By the way, as I had said under that is parallel, yeah. parallel minor uh, for that. Parallel Instead minor, right, thanks. Yeah. There you go. That's what I was looking for. Okay. Oh. I gotta remember all this stuff again. I feel I feel good when I know these things. I feel like I'm back in school, like thinking about these things all the back time. Back in school, back in school, so good. Anyway, last track, Giulio Regondi, um, introduction and Caprice, Opus 23. This guy was born in Geneva, raised by a guitar playing Italian who later abandoned him in London. Oh, <laughs> what a bad place to be left alone. I don't know. Didn't even left alone. Jeez. Wow. Okay, Regondi became a renowned performer. It didn't seem like it hurt him too much. I don't know. Yeah. This piece has two movements exploring the minor and major tonalities of the same key. Again, parallel major minor. A slow adagio in E major and a lively allegretto in a minor. He's going backwards. He's going to the minor in mm. the big section, which eventually goes to the major again at the end. Um, this piece requires constant virtuosic display. It starts slowly with widely spaced melodic notes. There's some pretty naughty figuration in the intro, which is very appealing to the ear. It's very catchy. The main section starts around the four-minute mark, and there's quite a bit of tricky figuration in the melodic lines, this time at high speed. Okay, Whittingham, you know, good player that she is, plays with precision, but again, lacking in fire. Okay, you really want this to just sound effortless, even though it's not. Um, she does a lot of slight pauses between phrases that worked so well in bringing emotion to the front of the shorter pieces, but it's not so effective here. In fact, a lot of the tension and release really depends on knowing when to slow and when to speed up and when to, you know, play louder and softer. And I feel like she mistimes a few of those. Uh, runs here. It it doesn't really work for me. There are all sorts of subtle tricks used to put passion across, and I'm not hearing them so much here. A mature artist is necessary to put this work across. And again, she's very young. I'm sure she'll uh, she'll be doing this one day, probably soon. She has a lot of necessary elements already, but not the whole toolkit. In short, this is a a very enjoyable debut uh, performance uh, recording. It's got a lot of unknown guitar works that I was delighted to hear. Um... Yeah, and I agree with Russ that she's uh, lacking in passion, especially in the last two works. Yeah, I mean, it's a in very interesting program for a debut. Uh, I mean, she starts with the sort of requisite uh, Spanish pieces, I thought, um, and then she moves on to some surprising things that uh, don't get played very much. So that's uh, an interesting 
programming choice. I really do like, I love the sound of her guitar. It's beautiful. And I really like uh, her articulation. Uh, you know, this, the differences she has in her attack and how that changes the tone. Um, I, as I said, I think her approach is a bit too measured and calculated, sometimes right. a bit dispassionate. She's just, I think she's erring on I caution. Think I think that's what you do, yeah, when yeah. you're kind of, you know. She's erring on caution because she wants this to be uh, perfect. And, in, you know, some senses a lot of it is really perfect, but uh, I think uh, yeah, it misses a bit of the fire uh, that will come, you know, as she... Uh, well, that depends on her, really. I think. Oh, I'm sure it will. I mean, yeah, uh, sure it will. to get recorded, she got a lot of attention. I think she has, you know, she built a following. I read about her on YouTube and, and things like she's, that. She's so really she, attractive. Yeah. Oh, and that's a, a thing, yeah. too, you know. Um, so Yeah, that always helps. <laughs> uh, or it helps or it puts an added pressure on, you know. Um, yeah. And I, I feel like, you know, in any genre of music, the people get, who get a lot of attention when they're young... They're in the spotlight uh, early and being yeah, in that like, spotlight. She's been to school. She's in her 20s now, I'd say. Still. Uh, yeah. You know, mm. that's young. <laughs> to, yeah, it is young. But it's, to, not like, but it's not like, uh, you know, a teenager, like uh, someone like, um, you know, Anne Sophie Mutter playing at 14 years old with the Berlin Film Yeah, you know? Uh, you, you know what I mean, though? You can't fake maturity. Uh, mm. You can copy things. You can emulate and, and things. But th those sort of, um, you know, honest, deep, emotional expressions of things, I think those take time. Uh, and so I wouldn't fault any young player for not being able to put those across in any genre. Uh, not that she's lacking in any of that. I think I think it's really excellent debut record debut recording. It's excellent programming um, as well. I really programming like the is idea. really good. Um, mm -hmm. I mean it's much better than having just picked all pieces that everyone has heard before. Uh, and that not only does that set you up for more, you know, comparison uh, with other people, but it's it's nothing sort of uh, interesting in the program of itself to listen to. But you know, she's found these pieces uh, some of them I haven't heard before um, and um, so I, I really like that mix of sort of uh, you know taking a chance uh, hmm. with some new things too and uh, but just a gorgeous uh, guitar sound and yeah, she's a beautiful sound. So. I think it's those elements the sound and the whole feel that kind of got me in in track one well, I was expecting a lot less so I think that kind of well you know, I, I have surprised to me to me uh, I mean, my musical approach to playing music and that I enjoy that those are the most important things, right? Um, hmm. the, your tone, whether it's your voice or your instrument, um, the tone is the most important thing because if you don't have a nice sound, no matter how technically proficient or anything else, just, no one's going to want to listen to you. Uh, yeah. You know, a so, lot of people are profi technically proficient, you know? Yeah, but she has a, a gorgeous sound, and I, I really think she has a nuanced um, the touch, you know? And that, that's everything in, in guitar, because you're actually making the sound with your fingertips. And I can sense right. that she has a, a really keen uh, sense of what her fingers do to change that tone. Mm. Um, 
And that's really special. On there's a lot of really good guitarists technically who are boring in the tone that they play. It's not as mm-hmm. interesting as what she already right. has here. I think so. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to sound too harsh on this because I I thought it's it's really. Um, what yeah, she she's very is, young. Is really it is good, an excellent so. debut recording, yeah. let's say, and, but she's um, still got some ways to go. And, uh, oh, yeah, but she's young. And uh, if she's got mm-hmm. this much of a sense, uh, I don't know if she was the sole um, selector in this material, but, you know, if if she continues to find these kind of interesting pieces to uh, record in the future, that'll be... Uh, not only great to listen to her sound develop, but also uh, if she finds more and more music that uh, needs to be recorded more. Uh, so, yeah, let's hear it. Yeah. All right. Guitar classical. Now on to guitar jazz. All right. I've had <laughs> a, a bunch of guitar recordings sitting around for a while. Yeah. They're going to all be launched here uh, tonight and uh, going to start out with uh, well all of these are really cool um, but we've got Mr. Craig Brand and okay. uh, he's got an album on Steeplechase uh, record label called Past, Present and Future now Brand is a native of the great jazz city Windsor, Maine <laughs> 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 no, that's a joke. Um, anyway, no, he's uh, not, he is from Windsor, Maine. He though. is that's from Windsor, Maine. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, and if you if you see uh, Craig Brent, he has that good old country boy kind of look to him, uh, you know. And uh, and but he he's been in uh, the New York jazz scene since 1996, um, and uh, here he's in trio format with uh, Nick Morrison on bass and Rudy Royston, who we've heard a few times, uh, an excellent drummer who sounds great here too, uh, in a trio on uh, this release. And um, and it's all original tunes on here too. So uh, he's showing off his uh, composing strengths, uh, beginning with the first track called 2020, uh, which I guess it could be the year or the vision um, or both. we don't know. Um, this one starts out uh, the tune with kind of an ascending figure uh, that builds uh, a tune around kind of an alternating riff and that ascending line uh, based on the beginning. Now, there's some nice breaks in the melody uh, for Royston to uh, fill in, and he keeps uh, a busy changing beat throughout. And right away from the first track, you're going to get a feel from uh, what Bran can do on guitar. Uh, he's got really fluid chops and great agility uh, in his playing. Uh, that shows up right away in his solo out of the melody here. Uh, another thing that... Uh, sort of typifies his style. He can fill in chords easily uh, anytime there's a gap in his melody. Uh, so he doesn't need another guitarist to back him or a pianist. Uh, you know, he can be playing a solo line. There's a little pause in the phrase and the chords just effortlessly come in there or at the same time as what he's uh, playing. So he has that sort of, uh, you know, he can accompany himself basically really well. Uh, he makes real long running lines uh, that cover the range of the fretboard. Uh, he doesn't just stay in one sort of region. He's up and down, uh, getting a big range. Uh, he returns to the uh, 
tune chord shape after his uh, impressive solo uh, and Royston gets some time to show off uh, there as well uh, in the fills. Uh, Morrison mainly adds kind of syncopated figures to Royston's groove on the first tune. Uh, the second tune on here is called Someday for SG. I don't know who that is, but um, mm. it's a slower tune. Uh, Brand plays gentle chords on this one. It's got an intro line, and he uses some tremolo, so he's got the uh, bar going. That's an integral part of his sound to get a little bit of a pitch uh, variation, and he uses it really tastefully, uh, not too much. He works in the melody. Again, keeps the chords filled in uh, when you want to hear the harmonic bass that he's working over. Uh, Morrison keeps kind of a heartbeat going underneath this one. Uh, Royston's got some nice cymbal textures going. About midway through the tune, it breaks into a swing, and Bran Reeves, a kind of mix of relaxed and speedy lines. Uh, he uses some really interesting interval ideas and builds off from them as well. He's a very imaginative player. Uh, he's got a real creative sense for melodic ideas. Uh, Morrison gets a solo here as well. He doesn't have a big bass sound, um, but he does have a nice tight attack uh, that helps him show off kind of rhythmic ideas. Uh, on the end melody, uh, Brand finishes with, again, some kind of tremolo pitch play uh, to uh, end things up. Track three is Elijah Boy. It's a tune with a really cool stop-timey bluesy riffs uh, that uh, sandwiches another section of descending figures. Uh, Brand shows off his speed and articulation variety on really long-flowing solo lines on this one. Uh, Royston gets a nice solo spot, too, after Brand's solo. Uh, so it's kind of a cool track. Uh, number four, Victorus. Uh, this has a drum intro from Royston. Uh, a bass riff comes in, and then Brand joins on with some chordal figures. Uh, the beat settles into something like a samba. Uh, Brand mixes in lots of complex lines while adding chords underneath again. He finishes up with a melodic phrase, uh, then gives Morrison some space to solo, uh, and Royston keeps uh, busy, inventive beats throughout the whole piece. Uh, five. A Waltz and a Prayer. Uh, it's kind of a slow country waltz tune. Bram plays out the gentle melody, uh, and this one has kind of choppy chords that he gets going underneath at the same time. Uh, Morrison gets a melodic bass solo on this one, and Bram comes back for some more melodic improvisations. There's a lot of space in this slow tempo, and Royston's tasty playing adds just enough hits uh, to keep the uh, rhythm interesting. Uh, track six is called Inverso. Uh, we've just had a waltz, uh, and now we get kind of a 6-8 tune. Uh, so keeping that kind of uh, three-beat feel, uh, this time it's six, though. It's mid-tempo, really nice cymbal work on this one from Royston. Uh, Bran weaves relaxed uh, creative lines for a good five minutes. Uh, he just goes on and on. He never runs out of ideas. And uh, no, I was impressed by that for this whole album, though. He, yeah. he really does have... He's another guy with a lot of ideas, sort of like David Kukowski on the yeah. piano. Really? You know? I mean, you know, when I, whenever I play, you know, jazz solos, like I always think, uh, you know, you think... Uh, uh, did I just repeat? Did I play that before? I don't think Brand ever has that problem. He's just like lots of ideas, endless creativity. Yeah. Uh, and Morrison gets some bass on here too. Uh, track seven, 
uh, Irv's Nerve, uh, nice title. It's a minor blues <laughs> with a stop time uh, kind of feel in the drums and bass and this running riff by Bran. Uh, Morrison gets the solo first on this one. Uh, this it's When you hear the intro riff and the melody, you think it's going to be you know, kind of just standard bluesy thing, but Bran doesn't stick to just bluesy ideas on this. He gets a full creative workout of ideas on this one as well, uh, playing through all kinds of harmonic uh, sort of ideas. Uh, eight is called And He Goes. I don't know where he goes, but mm. uh, this one's a goes. softer and slow tune. Uh, more subtle solos by Brandon Morrison. Uh, nice contrast. And uh, we end up with nine, uh, Avian Azur. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> this one has a rhythmic bass intro. Royston gets a slow beat going then, and Bran... Uh, starts with some slow chords for an intro. Uh, then he gets off to some really fast runs, uh, signaling the changes to come. Uh, once he starts soloing, Royston doubles up the beat to a fast pace. Uh, Morrison gets into a really fast walk underneath that. And Bren really shows off his speedy chops on this one. Uh, there's some really uh, fast technique going here. Uh, Morrison gets a little rhythmic interlude. Uh, over Royston's cymbals before they bring the melody back to wrap it up uh, on an unresolved chord at the ending. Uh, so I enjoyed this. My first listen to Bran, but he's got uh, gobs of technique and mm. the imagination to go with it. Uh, imagination. That's really what I said about yeah. this. Is, uh, you know. He doesn't, uh, you know, he's not just showing off. every Everything he does utilizing his technique is highlighting really cool new melodic ideas uh, going places with his solos. Uh, they're very imaginative. Also, his original tunes, they're intriguing. And uh, this trio communicates really well together. They're listening to each other and great interplay. So, yeah, great guitar jazz. Uh, check this out. Past, present, future. Who, who knew Maine was such a happening yeah. place? <laughs> I mean, you know. <laughs> mm. He's got uh, at least three other releases, maybe more, uh, as a leader, and I'm going to check them out as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, this th that was. Uh, yeah, th I think that was the most straightforward like jazz guitar album right. that we heard of yeah. these three. Um, yeah, and, yeah I, I really enjoyed his like his ideas as well, and his yeah. his little fills too. He's got, he gets yep. these really tricky sort of um, uh, you know little figures in yeah. in his melodies as as the. I, I noticed one thing he likes to do is he'll play the. Um, the uh, solo or whatever melody he's playing spare and then when he goes back to it later it'll have like a lot of little curly yeah. cues in it just a little more detail yeah. embellishments yeah. I really enjoyed that yeah, approach good. and I but should say it is a great I didn't mm -hmm. comment enough he, he does have a really nice tone uh, too uh, yeah a great instrument sound too so um, electric guitar by the way yeah, we're now on electric yeah. guitar there's this yeah. huge I don't know what the make is it's a really big hollow body you can see it on the wow. album cover with the you know the F holes right. and, and yeah so, really cool matches his whole sort of persona yeah all right uh How about that next up also on the steeplechase uh label uh puzzle people by huh. nate radley um so nate radley uh guitarist uh from uh concord new hampshire another big jazz boy. town <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know, new england dudes here right they're taking over yeah <laughs> um but uh Radley studied uh, music at New England Conservatory, uh, 
great music school. We graduated in 2000. Uh, a couple not years a later. jazz school, though. It's a, it's a yeah, classical it's a, school, it's a classical school. Yeah. Um, yeah. He uh, went to New York uh, a few years later, and uh, he's got his own trio active there. Uh, he's recorded with a lot of other uh, famous jazz musicians, uh, Dave Scott, uh, Greg Osby, Chris Potter, John Hollenbeck, Billy Hart, Seamus Blake, uh, and a lot of others. And he's currently a member of the jazz faculty of Princeton University uh, as hmm. well. Uh, so uh, he's made quite a career for himself. On this recording, he's got Jay Anderson on bass and uh, Adam Nussbaum, uh, a very veteran uh, jazz player on drums. And, uh, well, Bradley's, this is, he's a very interesting uh, concept uh, to me. Also, a really cool uh, guitar tone. Uh, in addition to his great jazz chops, he brings in a sort of bluesy rock kind of uh, tendencies and some country sort of sentiments, too. And, yeah, uh, this kind of reminded me of the 1950s a lot, that yeah. kind of guitar sound yeah. you know um, or if anybody heard like the the band Jeff Tweedy was in before Wilco right. like Uncle Tupelo it's got that yeah. the sad lonesome American sound you know the wide yeah. open spaces he's got a bit of that going and uh, I, some of the sentiments like uh, a few uh, months ago we did a Charlie Ballantyne's new album uh, so sort of jazz guitar with you know, a bit of uh, you know rock uh, edge to it but in the trio with acoustic bass, uh, that kind of uh, same concept, which I think works really well. And so here we're going to get a mix of interesting originals and very interesting <laughs> choices of covers. <laughs> uh, so we start out with uh, a tune, Invitation to the Blues by Roger Miller, uh, a famous yeah. uh, name from pop music. And this tune was actually, I think, a uh, uh, charted tune for the uh, kind of country singer Ray Price going back to 1958. Um, it's kind of a slow shuffle. It's got an intro that has a kind of alternating bluesy riff. Uh, the tune is bluesy, but it has some unexpected chords uh, that uh, yeah. uh, rather Dissident chooses. harmonies, I see. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, his solo has really interesting articulation uh, it's part of his style. Uh, it's a mix of clearly articulated shorter tones and chords with fluid phrases. And so, you know, he mixes up sort of longer and shorter tones to interesting effect. Uh, he also mixes in a lot of bluesy and rocky ideas and bends into this tune. Um, and after his interesting solo, uh, they go back to the riff of the tune and Nussbaum gets some time to work around the drum kit. Uh, you can check out the original version uh, with Ray Price on YouTube. It's a black and white video of it. Uh, so this yeah. is, uh, you know, another thing he likes to do is end like on the the inconclusive seventh chord. You know, without yeah, it yeah. just kind of drifts off, sort of yeah. uh, instead of get, getting a full tonic stop. Yeah, he, he does that a, on a lot of tracks. Mm. He gets a, just enough of kind of a distortion sometimes that. Uh, to make it interesting in tone, and he he will also use a little bit of tremolo. Uh, when he wants to throughout the recording. Uh, and I find those kind of palette of colors that he has for his, his tone is nice. Uh, track two, Sing Sing Overkill. This is his original tune. It's a cool syncopated bassline opening, light drumming, tasty chord work by Radley. He likes to play chords a lot too. And it's not like uh, 
when he's playing chords, it's just like boring backing. His chord playing is really interesting too. Uh, I like it as much as his, his lead work. Uh, uh, it just makes you want to listen more. This is a bluesy tune. Uh, a few interesting chords thrown in at the end of the verse. Uh, the beat gets a nice slow chug feeling going along. Uh, Radley has some cool lines in his solo, but as I said, when he switches over to chords, it's just as interesting how he's going to articulate them and uh, flip the inversions of the chords around. Uh, Anderson has a nice chilled bass solo on this one. Uh, again, when they come back to the uh, uh, tune uh, and get back to the chords uh, for that one, there's some more space for a Nussbaum to mix up the funky beat a bit on his own. Uh, three, we get a really cool uh, cover that you would expect to hear this way. Uh, very familiar sounding, yeah, too. Every uh, baby boomer or uh, Gen X who is listening to older tunes on the radio will know this uh, tune covered by Con uh, sung by Connie Francis, a Ted Snyder tune, Who's Sorry Now? Uh, and did you know this song was also in the Marx Brothers movie, A Night in Casablanca? I didn't know that. Yeah, really? I, neither did I. Wow. <laughs> I don't even remember hearing it there. Yeah, I know that movie. But, <laughs> but the Connie the Francis version is so like in, ingrained. Yeah, ingrained. Though, kinda, yeah. Don't think uh, of it. It's a real it's been Ameri covered by a lot of people. Americana though. thing there. Um, Radley mm -hmm. opens this one, uh, keeping uh, the bass line and chords going himself under the melody. So he's doing the whole uh, piece. And then... When they get to the second verse, Nussbaum and Anderson join in. It's very subtle. It sort of just fills in what he's already got going. It's a very nice, spacey, relaxed feel. Uh, it continues throughout uh, Anderson's bass solo, which is up first. Radley plays extremely quiet chords and accompaniment underneath. He like turns the volume almost all the way down under the bass solo. He's uh, which is you know really interesting. Uh, then when Riley comes for his own solo, it's tasty, lots of melodic phrases, cool little bends, nice articulation with short notes and phrases, uh, and there's a cool, tasty ending for it, too. Uh, so an unexpected cover uh, done in a unique way. Uh, I really yeah, like that. Unexpected, though, it does fit it. It fits perfectly into the whole 50s rock yeah. vibe of this album. So yeah, it's yeah. really, in a way, it's it's surprising, but it's not a surprise at all at another yeah. level, you know? It just matches his style. Uh, mm -hmm. Now we've got an even older tune, uh, I'll See You in My Dreams, Isham Jones, originally courted uh, by Isham Jones and the Ray Miller Orchestra in 1924. Uh, it's got an original repeating riff idea that he adds. And once, I mean, that's his own... Uh, arrangement. As soon as the melody starts, you'll recognize this famous tune. Uh, you, you may recognize it because you heard the Pat Boone version, which right. is the most recent yeah. one. I mean, th and, there's been yeah. there's been recorded by so many people, including uh, Mario Lanza. Lanza. He, yeah. he also did this. Maybe we'll uh, hear Freddie Di Tommaso do it one day. Uh, wouldn't surprise <laughs> me. Yeah. Uh, Bradley mixes in some overtones in the phrase gaps of the melody. It's really cool. Nussbaum works some faint, tasty brushes. Uh, and Anderson gets a tasty melodic bass solo here, too. Uh, when Bradley makes a solo, it's kind of interesting. It's got these disjointed notes and phrases that he starts out with. But then he ties them all together as he goes through. Um, and Nussbaum works it into a more kind of driving swing beat. Uh, after another soft turn at the melody, uh, Radley gets some 
nice freer solo ideas in before the end of the tune. Uh, yeah, interesting sort of uh, flowing of ideas in this one. Track five, another Radley original, Kamikaze Frisbee. <laughs> <laughs> nice <Good> title. <laughs> uh, it's a cool minor bluesy tune, uh, a busy kind of eight beat feel, uh, and but it changes to a swing bridge. Uh, so it's one of those tunes that has that change up in it. Uh, it's got that kind of secret agent man progression. I said that too. <laughs> you know, going in that. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, if you that, know that, that was my Johnny note as well. Rivers kind the same of thing. thing. Yeah, it's got that guitar in the right tone from that era too. You know. Um, and Radley shows a more fluid, jazzy soloing here with lots of fast lines. Um, is the melodies always have really good direction and connect up with what he was doing previously. He's a soloist that really makes you want to keep listening to what he's going to do next. Mm. Uh, Nussbaum gives excellent drive with the cymbals on this one, uh, and he also gets an enthusiastic solo after Radley. Uh, track six is another cover, Golden Earrings by Victor Young. This one has a drum tom intro, ringing note figures from Radley. It's a pretty minor melody, and Radley's melody and chords and Anderson's bass line, his working together with a nice descending bass line, they, they sort of just sync really well. Uh, Radley's solo here is jammed with ideas and rhythmic repeated phrases uh, set to the subdivided groove that Nussbaum works up. Uh, and then Anderson gets a rhythmic solo with some rapid fire uh, notes and glissandos uh, as Nussbaum gets some different cymbal tones uh, and kind of muted things for fun. Uh, and then he gets some more space for cool beats uh, when they switch up coming back to the melody. Track seven is the title track Puzzle People, uh, a Radley original. It's a fun rising and modulating melody on this tune. The bass drops out as Radley starts improvising freely over Nussbaum's changing rhythms. Uh, Anderson joins back in and a fast swing chase develops. The beat and feel constantly change. It morphs into a bluesy groove for a while, then it disappears for an interesting kind of interval-centered solo by Anderson. Uh, this all hinges on great communication and uh, adaptation to the players here. This is one of the most free-formed and adaptive tunes here. Uh, it's and interesting because you know, the opening material doesn't really sound all that promising. It's kind of like a TV commercial theme right. and then they kind of go off and yeah, come yeah. up with those really interesting uh, variations on yeah. it. Yeah, and so it, this turns out to be the, the most sort of um, free-flowing of all uh, and it gets back to just a snippet of the original melody to close it out. Uh, eight uh, another Radley original, Bubble Trouble. Uh, it's kind of a mysterious melody of arpeggios and sliding chords. Radley starts this one out soloing with some restrained phrases that are answered by Anderson. Nussbaum plays uh, light and crisp underneath it all. It works up into a more intense groove. Uh, it gets quiet again for an Anderson solo. Uh, this one. And the final track here is uh, The Horseless Headman. <laughs> a great name. <laughs> Fantastic title yeah. again. He's, he's uh, good at this. He's yeah. good at naming uh, Naming things. Uh, another Radley original. Yeah. This is a gentle melody. Uh, this is like the, you know, as you think, you know, the headless horseman or anything, a horseman. This one has this kind of Western kind of uh, atmosphere to it. And uh, it, this is the most kind of uh, composed straight piece. It's just a gentle melody. He uses uh, a lot of uh, tremolo and slides at the end of the phrases. Uh, 
Bradley yeah, plays fact, the whole track is has the tremolo effect yeah, on it. Yeah, and he just plays straight yeah. through this one. It's a sh- it's only three minutes long. It, it it's more atmospheric with like these lonesome sounding melodies out on the prairie kind of thing uh, over the over these chords, uh, and he gets mm-hmm. in some overtones. Uh, it's got the uh, sad, lonesome one. sound. Yeah. The sad, so just, lonesome American sound. Yeah, yeah, to that. So it gets a bit of, you know, prairie western thing going. Uh, so, yeah, it's a really fun and interesting uh, release. Uh, Bradley's solos really pull you in. You want to listen to all of his ideas. The original tunes are interesting, as are the arrangements of the cover tunes. Uh, kind of an interesting mix <laughs> from really old uh, kind of material. I enjoyed the space in the breathing room and the adaptive rhythmic exploration uh, great interplay between the musicians uh, highly recommended uh, guitar yeah you don't piece. expect to hear an album like this when you think jazz guitar it, it really mm. it was almost cross genre you know what it, it got me thinking about you know the Delvin Lamar organ trio album because right. it was kind of like in the way that's a jazz album but it's not really a jazz album this is right. like a jazz guitar album that's, but it's not really a jazz guitar it seems like it's another genre or yeah. it could be I mean, it's leaning towards that Bradley clearly has like you know big jazz chops uh, in uh, oh, yeah. his improvisations but he's got rock and blues you know uh, sentimentalities a lot of and then yeah, yeah the the material that he plus, pulls from Americana with and then that whole spacey sound in there it sort of crosses all these kind of uh, genres it's very American sounding but in a in a really yeah, good the, way yeah. the sad lonesome sound yeah <laughs> Think Blue Moon by Elvis. That'll give you an idea what yeah, that is. Although the guitar sound isn't on that one. Um, there are others. Right. Okay. And uh, finally, uh, an album that uh, got a lot of uh, anticipation. Uh, this is, yeah. uh, I, from what I read, uh, one of uh, Pat Metheny's favorite guitarists. Uh, Interesting, because he does sound a little bit like Pat Metheny at times. At times. I'll mention that when it comes up. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Dave Stryker. His latest release, uh, it just came out on Strike Zone Records. I guess that's his own uh, affiliated label. As We Are. And this features Dave Stryker, the Nebraska native. Another <laughs> Boy, jazz. jazz is everywhere. Yeah, but uh, he's been in New York for uh, 40-some years. He's got uh, th- uh, 30-some recordings of his own albums, as well as... Uh, Long associations in the past with Stanley Turrentine, Jack McDuff, uh, wow. saxophonist Steve Slagle. Um, and here he is with uh, Julian Shore on piano, the great John Patitucci on bass, yeah, yes. and also uh, another name associated with Chick Corea, Brian Blade on drums. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, a fine cohort of musicians here. And what makes this musician, uh, I'm sorry, this recording uh, interesting and also gave me cause for worry is it's an album with strings. But not Uh, a string orchestra. That's really important. A string orchestra. It's a string quartet. quartet. uh, Featuring uh, Sarah Caswell, uh, who also takes some solos on the album on violin one, Monica K. Davis, violin two. uh, And I knew we were in good hands when I saw her name. Yeah, Sarah Caswell. Uh, Benny Van Gutzit, viola, and Marika Hughes on cello. Mm. So, uh, jazz guitar album with strings. I, from what I've read, this is something Stryker's always wanted to do, and uh, mm. he had a lot of passion for this project. Um, so, 
Uh, well, first of all, when you say this is something he always wanted to do, what do you mean? Play with a string quartet? Yeah. Uh, ah. Having this in, in a range thing was like something he had really you know, looked forward to doing from okay. what I understood from reading it. Okay. Sounds good. So we start with uh, just a string piece, actually. It's uh, mm. just an intro to the album called Overture. It's a, just a minute and 10 seconds long. So a one minute intro piece on string quartet. It's got a yearning quality to it. Um, modern in, in the classical sense of the word harmonies. I thought it has like a Bartok string quartet one kind of, you know, feel I, to uh, it. Yeah. I thought. Okay. Yeah, in a way. I said it was tasteful. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not Mozartian. It's, you know, it's. <clears throat> yeah, it's more like definitely a, more 20th century. 20th but century it's not like, kind of thing. It's not like mid 20th century. No, 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 no. no. It's a tonal, but it's early choice in harmonies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so it's a short piece that leads to uh, the second track, Lanes. Uh, this one starts with a complex, even beat, repeated syncopated bass and piano pairs of notes. Uh, and the strings come in and they play a kind of sustained role underneath that. Uh, Stryker plays some opening melody and then it quickly switches to a fast swing, uh, only to switch up the rhythm a few more times. Uh, very adaptive uh, 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 rhythmic feel here. Stryker solos fluidly. Uh, he's got a really deep guitar tone. Uh, Blade and Patitucci mix up the grooves, have a lot of creative action underneath his solo. Uh, there's a rhythmic breakdown in the middle of the tune with piano figures uh, that Blade gets to fill uh, in underneath with some nice artistic drumming. Uh, Shore has some sparse uh, piano soloing before Stryker brings the melody back. And throughout the whole tune, the, the string arrangement kind of swells in and out uh, depending on what's going on with the rest of the arrangement. Track three is called River Man. This starts with some mysterious kind of high violin string and other sounds uh, in the background. I guess it's sort of harmonics playing kind of on the harmonics. harmonics yeah, kind of yeah. like a water themed natural environment evocation. Uh, Stryker brings in it's some a bit ghostly, really. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Yeah, unnerving kind of. Yeah, hmm. uh, Stryker brings in some rubato and sparse notes before Patitucci comes in with this real loping bass line uh, in <laughs> a five-four time signature. Uh, Stryker stays down in the lower register with his melody, which contrasts with the strings that come swelling in above, and uh, Sarah Coswell gets a violin solo here. She plays with soft attacks and swooping lines, uh, kind of matches this uh, river theme. Uh, Stryker sort of a combination comes, of country and classical, really, her yeah, solo. I can yeah. had a bit of country feel in it. A little bit of country, too, yeah. Uh, Stryker, she has a really interesting tone. Uh, it's, uh, yeah. And it's kind of, Caswell, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Interesting tone. Violin, okay, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Stryker comes back again. Uh, this time he mixes some bluesy figures in a really relaxed solo and um, behind all of this going on uh, Blade has some really nice symbol textures that uh, create an ambiance um, I wanted to yeah this is the one that I thought sounded a lot like Pat Metheny when he gets his solo this is what uh, I, right. I thought of Pat Metheny specifically yeah. here it had this airy glidey quality to it that Pat Metheny's right. music has but he I feel like you know Pat Metheny reaches these levels of just yeah. joy and ecstasy that really doesn't happen here it may not be what he's going for yeah but uh it's a bit more subdued, this, this yeah. reminded me a bit of pat metheny his, right. when he took his solo here um 
Uh, what else is going on in this tune? Uh, Shore just has some sparse lines over Patatucci's pulses, uh, and then the tune kind of fades out in that same mysterious sound of the beginning for kind of a the harmonics. Yeah. yeah, the harmonics. Um, track four is uh, Hope. This is uh, kind of an even rockish beat with a bass pulse on this tune. Uh, the chord changes are kind of uplifting. Uh, they, you know, they're ascending and reaching. They kind of match the title of Hope. I guess that was what he's mm. going for, this kind of uh, uplifting feeling. Uh, as are Stryker's uh, uh, phrases in the melody that he uh, puts over that uh, harmonic backing. Uh, Short takes a piano solo that focuses on rhythmic figures. Uh, the lines are well connected. And uh, when Stryker solos on this one, he also makes the most of the kind of rhythmic figures going on uh, in the backing of the tune. Uh, Patitucci gets a short bass solo. He gets a real cool rhythmic thing going on. Uh, yeah, I dug this. But his sense of mm. attack and pitch are really great. Uh, yeah. he, can, <laughs> he hits, you know, you know, bass is... Acoustic bass doesn't have frets, right? Uh, mm -hmm. So you imagine it's a big woody instrument. You know, sometimes bass players are... You know, they're not always exactly on the pitch. Patitucci right. is like always spot on and he has this great clear attack and he can play with the pitch just a little bit within one note you know just by rolling his finger a bit and uh, he gets some really interesting you know amazing uh, things going that depends on being you know just having that perfect touch um, uh, let's see then Stryker brings the melody back uh, they vamp quietly uh, over the strings before the end of this tune uh, yeah pretty serene tune serene, I guess hope yeah. is a serene nice feeling. arrangement yeah uh, five uh, Saudade I guess that's how you yeah. say it yeah Saudade it's a saudade. memory it means a memory Saudade yeah it's yeah, a slow Portuguese. bossa nova beat uh, introduced mm. by Stryker on the guitar Shore adds some sparse piano figures uh, as the strings and blade come in on the drums. A striker adds more melody and Patitucci brings on the bass. Um, striker brings up the intensity in his solo uh, nicely, passes it off to Shore, and after a repeat of the melody, it comes to a false ending on this tune. And then striker and Shore go back to the quiet intro style to take it out. So a little kind of Latin uh, Brazilian feel on this one. Yeah. Track six, one thing at a time. Patitucci comes in walking hard on some very mean sounding bass right from the beginning with <laughs> blade drumming. Uh, Shore and Stryker work on the melody together on this, which has a lot of breaks and twists uh, turning through uh, the ideas. The strings swell through the arrangement in the gaps of the melody, uh, and it's all swinging for the solos. Shore has a nice one, and then Stryker. Uh, who finishes off with a series of overtones. And then Patitucci has a really awesome busy solo on this one. Uh, the arrangement gets thick with rising figures and strings, and Blade has a lot of nice uh, filling in the gaps, and then the whole thing mellows out uh, to the end of the tune. Track 7 is called uh, As We Were, the title track uh, here. Um, actually, this is... Uh, Let's see. Uh, as we are, but this is as we were. So right, yeah. Hmm. Uh, not really the title track, uh, but uh, alluding to something. Um, 
lush string arrangement in the intro. Striker comes me in. Of, uh, the, remind me of the Debussy string quartet, by the way. The, oh, the, the kind of right. sound. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, very lush same kind tone. Of tone. Not the same melody or anything like that, yeah. but it had that tone. Uh, Striker comes in on the pickup notes to the melody for this tune, which is a slow ballad. Uh, and he gets some really thick double stop figures, uh, which always sound cool on guitar. Uh, the beat comes in and goes uh, nice with uh, Blade's cymbals. Patitucci has a really thick and resonant solo. It's like, you know, it's like molasses Ooh. gooping out of the bass on this one. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> uh, Stryker brings the melody back with some more lush strings for the end. Uh, nice tune. Uh, eight, Dreams Are Real. Stryker introduces alternating phrases of six and five notes as if like questioning and answering himself uh, for this kind of uh, motif. Patitucci comes in below. Stryker goes to the melody as the strings and blade join in. And Stryker has a nice solo on this one. He gets into some modes early on and then switches over to some bluesy phrases. Uh, there's long lines of string interlude uh, with shore ending uh, adding interesting piano figures. Um, uh, track nine, the final track is called Soul Friend. It's a loping, slow, bluesy melody that's played together by Stryker and Caswell on violin. And Caswell solos first. Uh, she's really feeling the blues here. Uh, I thought she sounded a bit like Stefan Grappelli here. Yeah, yeah, those yeah. swooping, bluesy right. riffs and lines. Yeah. It's kind of light. Grappelli you know, kind of yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, Stryker's bluesy too, uh, but he gets in some ripping fast runs in his solo. Uh, just when it feels like uh, he's chilling out, he comes back with another great uh, bluesy string of phrasers. Uh, and then what I like here, uh, as I said, you know, string arrangements on jazz albums, uh, at least through this whole album, they haven't been too intrusive. They sort of come in and swell in and out. But here they they actually use the string for something really cool. So after uh, Stryker's solo, uh, he and the strings get kind of this pizzicato vamp going. Mm. So, you know, he's doing very uh, staccato kind of uh, fingering. And so the strings are pizzicato, except for the cello, which gets like a longer line in contrast. So it's a really cool usage of the strings with the guitar and you've got that one legato note of the cello. Uh, that's great. And over that, Patitucci comes in and jams out <laughs> with like this mm. really bluesy uh, bass solo. Uh, that's really nice yeah, use of the strings. Big fat, like yeah. aggressive solo. Yeah. It sounded great on the bass of all instruments yeah. too. Over that yeah. cool guitar and strings arrangement. That is really unique. And um, so after a repeat of the melody, uh, Stryker gets in some final cool note flurries to close things out so uh yeah I, although i'm not usually of a fan of strings on jazz albums because they usually get a little syrupy or overdone this is rather nice uh very tasty playing by uh striker and as you would expect from patitucci and blade uh shore doesn't do a lot here uh but what he gets in is uh, really tasty uh the string instruments uh the arrangements are interesting they add some uh, interesting possibilities to the arrangement especially in uh the last tune uh, as i mentioned uh rather than just backing and uh caswell's solos uh, are a nice kind of uh 
extra uh, sound and tasteful as well. Uh, so, um, yeah, uh, if if uh, playing with strings in a way was uh, something Stryker wanted to do, I think he pulled it off really well uh, here, and uh, you get a high level of musicianship. Uh, nice tunes with variety, good arrangements uh, overall, and uh, with these musicians, the level of interplay is... Uh, you know, really high, so they're communicating with each other uh, really well. And uh, that sort of free-flowing changes up in rhythms uh, happens a lot uh, in the middle of the tunes. Yeah, these tunes are all, they're pretty spacious. I, I kind right. of thought like that. But for me, I found myself listening more to uh, Patitucci than to anybody else. I just ah. liked his whole sound on this. You know, I guess that's inevitable for me. I don't know. Yeah, but he's got I that like thickness and the clarity yeah. of attack. It sounds so sure, like, mm. you know, he exactly knows the road he's pounding down, you know. So, yeah, he's... Uh, yeah, yeah. I like this enough. I, I don't know. For me, the strings, it, they were good. But, I mean, I kind of, I think I prefer them not to be there, to be honest. I don't know. It's yeah, it's just personal I, taste, really. I, I don't want to say that because you know? I know that's yeah. why he made this. But yeah, I, I know, can, right? <laughs> I, can always, I can always do without the strings on most jazz. I mean, I other than like, the, other the than like with bird me, yeah. with strings, that's about it, you yeah. know. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but at least they were tasteful. It wasn't like the, the Montavani Orchestra because I used to hate that, yeah. you know, when they would do that, you know, to kind of take all the aggression yeah. out of a of a jazz recording back in the day. But no, this was nice. It kind of, yeah, you know, for me, a little more intimate with the string quartet. Yeah, as I was saying, like, I don't mind a little bit of string or like, um, I like a lot of Tom Harrell's recordings uh, where he just gets like a cello in the mix mm -hmm. with some other instruments. So you have like a bass clarinet, trumpet, and a cello. A lot of interesting things can happen. But once you get a lot of strings in, it's sort of, yeah, the arrangement has to be kind of locked in a bit, and then uh, you know, so yeah. But yeah, well, well done here. Uh, so of these three, I, I think uh, any uh, jazz guitar fans, you've you've got some interesting stuff here. Uh, you know, Brand's album. This guy's a monster uh, technician. Uh, with great soloing ideas and great ideas, uh, yeah, yeah. You uh, so you're gonna like that um, a lot. Uh, Radley's, I just like his concept. Uh, yeah, he's got the chops, but uh, his sound and this sort of uh, evocative uh, Americana and '50s rock kind of thing that he brings in with you know these cover tunes and his originals. Yeah, it's really cool. And um, yeah, Stryker's got. Uh, something else going on here and you got Patitucci working with him too so this should be something for everyone who likes jazz guitar from among these picks yeah and I tell you I'm all guitared out <laughs> so I think Are you I mean, there will be more guitar records coming but uh, not next week please oh. I need a break yeah we need a break from guitar um, yeah what should we do next week mm. oh, I got a few ideas All right. <laughs> still not up to anything 2022 though I'm, I'm not there yet Coming soon, yeah. though. Are you all plucked out? More plucked out? I don't know. What, what do I want to say here? Pluckered? <laughs> Picked over? <laughs> Are you fretting? It? Are you fretting <laughs> about I'm all fretting. the guitar music? I'm fretting about, I'm yeah. fretting about all this guitar music. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, we'll come up with something different for a theme for next week as we get closer to our anniversary 50th. Uh, episode you know 50th episode and then 52 
is going to be one year, I guess. Well, 52 years and 53 would be a year. Would yeah. be the circle, close yeah. to the circle, yeah. Well, so, anyway, that's a coming up over too. the spring, so we'll be uh, We say 50th episode, but there's also our first anniversary episode coming up in uh, yeah. shortly. Well, I guess we'll have to combine those. Coming yeah. soon. Yeah, it's about yeah. it's about the same time. Yeah. So. so what do you think? Champagne for that one or we're just gonna go for the same old bourbon here? Let's let's do the whole course uh you know, get together. <laughs> let's start with one. Yeah. The next have, day it's just gonna be a you big said hangover. Two meat. Last time was too much. Have, this time we'll have three meats and four kinds of booze and yeah, uh, um and six recordings. <laughs> three meats, four boozes and six records. I wanna say something to, to teach the uh uh, the listeners a little bit about Japanese culture. Japanese people will often say that they have two stomachs. You know, one of them is for dessert. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember, you know, being out with a, a girlfriend and she would <laughs> – go, going out to eat with her was a real pain because she just made me fat. She would, she would absolutely demand – Was she a demand, great big fat girl? No, she wasn't. She was like this uh, <laughs> this, this uh, sexy, slim thing. Okay. Oh. <laughs> And uh, we would go out to eat, and she would always, um, you know, order something. And I couldn't order the same thing she ordered. She would order what she wanted. And if I wanted that, no, I had to order something else because she was going to let me try hers, and she wanted to try mine. Ah. So first of all, I I couldn't eat what I wanted, right? (laughs) Anyway, so we do that. I eat mine. She eats like a quarter of hers. I'm f- she's full. She can't finish it. Uh, and then so I, I wind up eating all of hers too. So I've eaten right. like one in three quarter meals. And then she takes the menu and she's like, oh, it's time for dessert. And I say to her, I thought you were full. And she says, oh, Japanese people have two stomachs. One is for only only for dessert. If Japanese people have two stomachs, how many do Americans have? I don't know. We just have one they big just got one big one. <laughs> we haven't learned that trick. Well, yeah, I guess... <laughs> Oh, well, so much for cultural differences. Yeah. Anyway, this has been episode 46, your guitar specialty episode from Adult Music, the podcast with music for the mature mind. And uh, once again, please do follow or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on. Please give us a ranking or write a review. Or if you want to get in touch, please send us an email at adultmusicpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. And we'll be back again next week for episode 47. So keep listening until then. Mm -hmm.